Hey everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio and my name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 139. 139. Very good diction, Gonzo. And we are here. This is our first show of 2019. And I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what have those guys been doing over there all year? Well... We, well, we actually talk about that on some other shows, but this is our first show of 2019, which we are very excited for. If you are part of our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash canarycryradio, we, we gave, we, we talked about it over there on one of our bonus episodes. So if you want to get the bonus episodes, learn the news before anybody else, you can head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. But... Now is the time when you guys get to learn the news. Gons and I, well, we're going to be trying something a little new. Yeah, something a little different, a little fresh. Move the the progress of the show along. So we wanted to try something different for 2019 so that we can be more consistent. That's the, that, the goal. That's right. Consistency is key, baby, especially in this dog-eat-dog cutthroat podcast world. Yeah, so when... when the, uh, old, the old one sh- episode a month isn't cutting it anymore. <laughs> so when we get rejected by guests, we don't get discouraged and go hide. Yeah, and <laughs> rejected by guests, that's that's a, uh, that's an extreme way to put it. But the, the, f- the fact of the matter is that the show with the baby and the life and the two cats... And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the two cats that they, I got to throw my two cats in there. Well, I, I will say I, normally I would be like, you know what? Get over it. They're cats. But knowing that how much they attack you, they do attack me a lot. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that those things over there, you should figure <laughs> out something with the claws or, you know, give them something Very to, to dull claws. it down. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, we started Canary Cry Radio. We're all coming up on our seventh year anniversary anniversary which is crazy gons i think we just um, passed it did we i think I, so i always forget if it was march or may i think I it's march i think it was yeah, march so. 2012 when we started so okay so we're officially seven years in and we've done a couple of shifts a couple of changes um but you know keeping in mind we've been doing the show for seven years and part of what we're doing here we're going to be switching it up just a little bit we kind of have been switching it up yeah i know it's my <laughs> went into my shock jock radio voice um we've been switching it up a because uh scheduling guests at a normal time at a baby safe time at a uh you know a two two cats i mean come on scheduling is difficult with two cats uh, it, it, it's, it, in the past, scheduling has made doing the interview shows a little bit tougher. First of all, I'll start by saying we will all, we will continue to be doing our interview shows, but we also have put together a little format here that we hope we will be able to be way more consistent. It just involves Gons and I, and you know, we had a little bit of a moment where we we're like, Come on, people come to Canary Cry Radio to hear the the experts, the researchers, the scholars. And we kind of had to stop and think, well, we've been talking one-on-one with these experts and researchers and scholars for seven years. You'd think we would have something to say about it. Yeah. That's where, that's what brought us here today. Yeah, I suppose you can put it that way. Or, you know, the, the thing is, we've, we have a worldview that is very particular, 
And it's kind of a given to, to, you know, the people that have been listening for many years, but you know, people come in and out of shows and this might be the first time you listen to this podcast. And if it is, then, you know, you're kind of coming in on a, a new sort of a trajectory of how That's the show true. is formatted. That's true. The world is a different place. Our uh, audience is a whole new set of people who are discovering uh, these concepts. And Gans, we realized that we are kind of taking for granted uh, sort of the knowledge base of of new listeners. Yeah. You know, we talk about things like Project Bluebeam, Project Paperclip. Uh, we'll mention you know, it in, MK in passing. Ultra. We'll mention these things in passing. And for somebody who's relatively new to the show, maybe they don't have the 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 fund the base knowledge of these types of things that we throw out. And so what we're going to be doing here in the new era of Canary Cry Radio 3.0 is we will be doing uh, full episodes revolving around some of these concepts. So if you're new to the show, you'll be able to, uh, uh, you know, be b caught up on the definitions and the the histories of some of the stuff we throw out there. Also, if you are not an if you are a, a veteran listener to the show, we'll be digging in a little deeper into some of the things that uh, we kind of take for granted. Again, like those things like MK Ultra or Project Bluebeam. The stuff we throw out, we kind of take for granted as a vocabulary in our, in our, I don't know, podcast circles. Uh, we will be doing some deeper dives and some historical dives into these things. And uh, we're positive that we'll be talking about some aspects of these things that you may not have heard before, or it's just good to be reminded. Yeah. And, you know, we, we know that people that have been with us for a long time, they want to share the show. And sometimes it's easier to share a show when it's just a, you know, a topic that maybe comes up in conversation or something. And we can hopefully over time have a little catalog going of different things similar to what we've done in the past with, you know, the light episode or the sound episode. But, you know, those were pretty general and we made it Canary Cry. Well, this is we're honing in a little bit more on some specifics, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll still be having some fun with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Always. with all that being said, to finish up the housekeeping, uh, we do want to drop real quickly. The Twitch channel is almost to 200 followers. We have Ooh. not forgotten about it. Uh, turns out <laughs> I was not expecting this many followers to follow us this quickly. Um, but uh, since we are almost to 200 followers with no videos, we are... Zero uh, videos. Zero 200 videos. followers. We are getting on it. That's right. And I also want to uh, take the time to celebrate that the Facebook page has gotten 10,000 likes, guns. 10,000. 10,000 million, million pieces of data about all of you. <laughs> yes, our data net has caught the information of 10,000 people. Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. We're probably part of the data set that, that they're trying to kill off. You know, like, oh, that's, oh, gosh. that's a don't, dead limb don't right say there. That. You're scaring everybody away. <laughs> no, just, Sorry, you know. I forget that I'm, I'm Facebook free. I know life. you, you are mostly, the freest, I'm still the freest man that I know. Um, <laughs> also, I want to mention that the Canary Cry community, which is a Facebook group on, well, Facebook, <laughs> uh, which is a community comprised of Canarians, uh, listeners of Canary Cry radio. 
Uh, we're almost at 2,000 members there. Wow. So that's really cool. That's a very active group. And uh, before you get all before you get all scared, I feel you. Um, it is both. It, it's a great mixture. I love that group because it's a great mixture of fun and humor and community and memes, as well as uh, people sharing different news stories and stuff. It's not all super intense, scary, you know, conspiracy people. <laughs> There's also, you know, people are having fun. People are uh, putting in prayer requests, caring for each other. It's really a nice little caring community that's gone there and a vibrant uh, place to post your birds are not real uh, memes. So <laughs> we're trying to capitalize on more on that later. <laughs> <laughs> but Gans, what do you yep. say? You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Okay, this episode we are going to be talking about predictive programming. And away we go. Canaries in a cage. Arise. Awake. Stop this progress before it is too late. This is Canary Cry Radio. A prediction is a statement about the future, a forecast, a prophecy. Pre means before, and diction pertaining to spoken word. The word programming or program goes back to the 1630s and meant public notice, proclamation, or edict. In Greek, a programma was a written public notice. Therefore, predictive programming in essence is a forecast or foretelling about the future in some kind of public notice, proclamation, or edict. In our modern conspiracy milieu, the phrase predictive programming has become understood as the displaying of planned events or situations through popular media prior to the events taking place. The prediction side is straightforward, but the programming side is far more revealing. The very name used to describe the menu of consumable media selections is television programming, and even the now-shortened vernacular show is consistent with the original definition of program. The importance of this subject cannot be ignored. In this episode, we will explore how predictive programming is carried out, how it is steered, funded, and highly influenced by the military-industrial complex and alphabet soup agencies, how the minds of the masses are being programmed to accept particular worldviews, how it impacted our highly charged culture, and most importantly, how it all relates to the most accurate predictive programming in all of existence. The Word of God. Ooh. We're here to talk about predictive programming. That's right. Hot topic, Gons. Sizzling. As we mentioned before, uh, a lot of people are going to know what predictive programming is. Some people may not, but we're going to be doing a deep exploration here, uh, both in past predictive programmings, programsings, as well as, I don't know, maybe what to look for in the future. But guns, before we begin, let's, uh, you know, there's a very... Very popular. Actually, the first event that I learned about predictive programming was, of course, the infamous 9-11. Yeah. And everybody, whether they know what predictive programming is or not, has seen oh the, a, a Simpsons episode or something like that on YouTube that seemed to have hints or clues uh, pointing towards 9-11. And, you know... 
you're seeing one or two of these around. Maybe it's a coincidence. That's uh, one of the arguments against predictive programming. But when it comes to the event of 9-11, the amount, the sheer hordes of uh, of places where this idea shows up in popular media is just astounding. You want to run through some of them? Let's go through a few of them. And there's, there's so many that we can't cover all of them, but we'll touch on some of the ones that we thought were interesting and pertinent to the discussion here. Oh, yeah. I finally had to cut Gons off. The list was getting really long. And I said, <laughs> you know what? We're not trying to build a comprehensive database here, but it's out there. You can find more. But here's some fun ones. Sure. Uh, 1973 is where, where we will start this journey here. Godzilla versus Megalon. Mm. And in the poster, it has each of the uh, the creatures there, Godzilla and Megalon, uh, one on each tower, and they're fighting. And so, mm. you know, obviously the, the battle of the two towers on top of the two towers yeah, uh, as okay. sort of a prediction, to, you know, the two giants, beasts of the world, you yeah, know, well, fighting. S- speaking of uh, beasts, in 1976, Sesame Street magazine <laughs> cover had Cookie Monster climbing the two towers and biting pieces out of them. Yeah, which that, uh, looking back was in a little was in poor taste. Cookie it, Monster. <laughs> it's terrifying when you see the uh, in hindsight when you see some of the things kids were consuming. I know because it's almost it was almost like hey when you grow up the Cookie Monster will become a reality. Something you know, I mean and keep in mind this is in the seventies these are coming out so yeah we'll talk about that more later. Yeah, uh, th- this is one of my favorite ones. This is Super Friends, the TV show, mm-hmm. and it's got like Superman and Wonder Woman and all of them. And um, it basically, it would be pointless to play a sound clip because it's just lasers and stuff. Maybe, but maybe a couple seconds of the sound you, clip. You, to you remember. want you want a little bit? It'll, okay. it'll activate somebody's MK Ultra programming. Okay, here we go. They knock over the Statue of Liberty. There's I Superman. Hope you can be in two places at once, Superman. There's the <laughs> Empire State Building. Yeah. Okay, so now a laser beam out of a monolith fixes the the Empire State Building. And now another laser beam fixes the uh, two towers. One of the towers was coming down, and uh, Wonder Woman's uh, mind thing that shoots a laser to a monolith with an eye on it. The eye shoots a laser and fixes <laughs> New York. This is a fantastic work. Yeah. Uh, people behind the scenes there. The vivid picture you paint <laughs> is just so specific. In 1988, this one's crazy. In 1988, Microsoft Flight Simulator, yeah. which was a computer game, shows a plane and shows the uh, the Twin Towers as well, prominently uh, put there on the cover of the game, which is really spooky. I mean, there's a plane and there's two towers. And even spookier when you recall that uh, uh, at least the reports about 9-11 were that the hijackers trained on a flight simulator. Right. That's right. Yeah. And there's actually, I think there was a commercial somewhere on the list. I don't, I don't remember which one. I don't, I don't think I labeled it correctly, but basically it was one of those commercials for a simulator and it basically uh-huh. went through the whole process of uh, airplanes and the two towers and almost getting hit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's screenshots from that commercial. I've seen it. 
Um, yeah. So there you go. Crazy. 1988. We're still in 88 here. This is a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I, I grew up watching Ninja Turtles. I don't know about you, but. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I was programmed for uh, some of this stuff. This is a clip from season two, episode seven. Master, you oaf, what's taking so long? It'll be ready in a second, Master. There. This should create a giant force field between the two towers. Uh, what went wrong? Oh, no. I forgot to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Baxter, you bumbling idiot. Why am I condemned to work with amateurs? Bad news, Master Splinter. Shredder is up to something, but he ran off before we could discover what. All we know is it had something to do with the Twin Towers. Sooner or later, he will reveal his plan. Until then, we can only wait. Yeah, and eat! Cheese pizza. So ominous, Baxter. <laughs> I missed my calling, man. I should have. That is so your call. Oh, my gosh. That is, wow. That is, I know. I know. It's, if there's it's any almost... voice talent uh, agents out there, get at me. Oh, the, the, re, the, rebrand, or the rebirth of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 88 version. Oh, I'll bring it back. I'll play Splinter. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> All right. Uh, th- you got another, another clip. Yeah, I got another clip here. Th- this is, again, it's just one of my favorites. But uh, let's start with it. This is a, the WWF. And you have a group that was called Twin Towers between the one-man gang or Akeem the African Dream teaming up with Big Boss Man and uh, there's a little clip here from the Twin Towers. Twin Towers, take it, Manjing. Just with me at this time, the Slickster, Akeem, the African Dream, and a big boss man. Gentlemen, is this the match you wanted all along, or are you going to continue your terrorist attacks? What? Whoa. Seriously? Come on, man. That's, That's crazy. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And then, the, the, of course, not to be outdone by Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. That was good. It's the law of man that's going to supercharge the mega powers and tear down the Twin Towers. This man, what were your thoughts then? Oh, yeah, Mean Gene, I can still feel the pain when that cold steel bit into Miss Elizabeth's wrist right there. And when her muscles were torn, my muscles were torn. When her bone was bruised right there, I felt the pain. Hulk Hogan felt the pain. And I can still feel the pain right now. And Hulk Hogan, that pain won't stop until the Twin Towers come crumbling. Right down tonight on prime time. Holy smokes. I know it's ridiculous. They, they managed to fit a group called twin towers and the word terrorism or terrorist attack. And you know, the whole tower thing going down all as part of this wrestling thing. Wrestling is real Basil. <laughs> That's the conclusion. Guns. <laughs> you were trying to have this conversation before we hit record, and you know, I'm still going to put that conversation off. <laughs> hey, it's a conversation to be had. I will admit that uh, professional wrestling is an art form. That's about as far as I'll go. Okay. All right. Okay. You're yeah. inching closer. <laughs> it's just all okay, in how you define real, but go what's ahead. What's the next one? Do you have another clip? Uh, no, I, I don't have okay. a clip for this one, but I do want to mention the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie. Very, mm. very clear, almost identical imagery to you know what really happened. If I anyone remember wants that. to look it up. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, how could we, how could anybody forget? Surely, if you look into anything, you've seen the 1995 Illuminati card game, which yeah, has the, the card, card depicting uh, an explosion at the Twin Towers. And, and uh, the card is labeled, uh, is it false flag or terrorist attack? I, I don't remember. Oh, I need to look it up. Yeah, you got to actually look at it. It yeah. might have been false. It might have been terror attack, though. Mm. Actually, think mm. I'm just mm. guessing now. <laughs> you can tell it's me if I'm right or wrong. Towers. I'm going to go with terror attack. I think it's um, labeled. Where is it? Terrorist nuke. Oh, uh, okay. Close. Yeah. I knew the word terror was in there. Yeah. But it's very clearly the two towers. Yeah. And, I mean, the explosion is kind of right at an identical place where it was. Um, but it doesn't look like a nuke. It was a very hyperbolically titled uh, card in that game, but that's okay. Interesting. Yeah. So 1995, so almost uh, 20 years, or 20 plus years into the, I guess, depicting the two towers going down in one form or another with the uh, Illuminati card game Yeah. Uh, published there. 1996, a year later, you're running a fundraiser. Fundraiser? 1993. World Trade Center bombing, remember? During the trial, one of the bombers claimed the CIA had advanced knowledge. The diplomat who issued the terrorist visa was CIA. It's not unthinkable they paved the way for the bombing, purely to justify a budget increase. You're telling me that you're going to fake some terrorist thing just to scare some money out of Congress? Well, unfortunately, Mr. Hennessy, I have no idea how to fake killing 4,000 people. So we're just going to have to do it for real. Oh, blame it on the Muslims, naturally. And that was Long Kiss Goodnight, again, Long, 1996. Yeah, very 1996. Now, apropos. keeping in mind that this was uh, three years after the original attempt at bombing the World Trade Center, but... You know, we also had uh, most of our clips were starting in the 70s. Um, and who could forget in 1997, uh, The Simpsons. Good old Simpsons, the, yeah. the, the prophet of our time. Yeah, seriously. The, the uh, oracle of, of our generation. Yep. This one's classic. You've probably seen this one. It's season nine, episode one. And uh, the whole thing kind of revolves around New York and the Twin Towers. But uh, Bart holds up. A, I think Lisa holds up Lisa the magazine. Lisa holds up the magazine, um, and Bart's looking at it, and it shows the Twin Towers in the background, and it's for uh, New York tours, and it's $9, and then the two towers form- Make the 11. The 11. So it's 9-11 on the front of this magazine. So that's, that's one that's always floating around Facebook, but there you go, Simpsons. Uh, and that's just one in the long list. There's of so many more. There's yeah. no way we can get through them. I think you're, I'm glad you curated this list because otherwise we'd be just going down rabbit trails. We could trails do the whole right. episode doing this and we're still in the intro. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, we'll, we'll land on this one. This is 2001 March. So quite clearly just a few uh, months before, a few months before the actual event took place. So here we go. This is the lone gunman. You're saying our government plans to commit a terrorist act against a domestic airline? There you go. Dating the entire government, as usual. A faction. A small faction. For what possible gain? The Cold War's over, John. But with no clear enemy to stockpile against, the arms market's flat. But bring down a fully loaded 727 into the middle of New York City, and you'll find a dozen tin-pot dictators all over the world 
just clamoring to take responsibility. Order of Liberty in Washington. Or must have been weird for the the cast oh my gosh you know a few months later to actually see the the real thing go down yeah that's wild just came out what was it eight months later no not eight yeah about six months later the actual thing happened that's crazy insane and like we said it's not just 9-11 uh events like the boston marathon bombing uh, there are clips from Family Guy depicting very similar circumstances, and people are picking this out all the time. And actually, even the mainstream media is jumping on sort of the predictive programming, uh, I don't know, conspiracy bandwagon guns, because I saw this one on a mainstream newscast. They were talking about this. Now, this did make the round, so you might have heard of it, but uh, guns, why don't you play us this clip? I bring you a message, a message of great importance, a message I alone was able to read in the fires of the universe. I also bring you the means with which to save yourselves. Save us from what? From the end of the world, friend. Which I don't expect you to believe. Got a name? Trump. I bet it fits. Uh, your name is Trump? If your people don't want my help, I can go elsewhere. Wait a minute, Mr. Trump. You don't talk for the rest of us. Since the sheriff wouldn't stop Trump, Hobie had to find somebody who would. You hear about Trump? Yes, sir. What are you going to do about him? What do you want me to do? Stop him. From what? From taking the town. Can you prove that that's what he has in mind? It's obvious. But can you prove it? In order to arrest him, the sheriff has to have a charge. And Trump hasn't given him a thing to go on. Well, there's got to be some way to stop him. Well, if there is, I don't know it. That's uh, a funny thing. Sir? When we were kids, we were all afraid of the dark. And we grew up, and we weren't afraid anymore. But it's funny how a big lie can make us all kids again. Hobie had checked the town. The people were ready to believe. Like sheep, they ran toward the slaughterhouse. And waiting for them was the high priest of fraud. I am the only one. Trust me. I can build a wall around your homes that nothing will penetrate. What do we do? How do we save ourselves? You ask, how do you build that wall? You ask, and I'm here to tell you. You're a liar, Trump. So there you go. Obviously, the, the newscast that I was watching was having a field day on this. <laughs> uh, and who knows if this is actually predictive programming or not, but... This was uh, a movie from 1958 called Trackdown about a man named Trump who cons his way into the town and offers to save everybody by building a wall. And uh, you know what, Gons? Jury's still out on Trump as far as I'm concerned, but... That was a pretty shocking connection to see. It's the, the, you know, calling him a liar, all mm-hmm. all the stuff. He just the, the political climate wrapped up in a 1958 the, film. Just unreal. The, what was it? The high priest of deception or yeah. something they called <laughs> Something them? along those lines. Holy smokes. Well, so there you go. Now, Gans, keeping in mind, maybe it's not all about planned events. Maybe... There's some coincidences. Maybe there's all sorts of things like that. But 
the connections between uh, appearances of certain events in the popular media has got a lot of attention around this thing called predictive programming. Now, the thing is, and Gons, maybe we can talk this out. Maybe we can spot something. I mean, obviously, predictive programming came the most prevalent when mass media became a thing. The advent of television and movies, these were really the first time when large amounts of the population were all watching and intaking of the same messages. Consuming the same media. Consuming the same messages. And one thing you often see in predictive programming, you you often see a lot of things done in symbology, or symbolism. Right. And that's going to be a great bonus for our listeners because we spend a lot of time highlighting symbolism, especially uh, the symbolism of those who, you know, we believe may be behind a lot of the uh, predictive programming and the events that it predicts. So, you know, knowing the symbolism of secret societies, knowing the symbolism of, uh, you know, uh, occultic groups and things like that. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, uh, you know, it's a classic meme now to be watching a movie uh, at the movie theater and just picking out symbol after symbol, agenda after agenda. And it makes it kind of fun. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it is a completely different way to experience media now. And I think it's, it's, it is a a complete divide. It really is sort of the, I don't know, just the the crude analogy of the red pill, blue pill situation where some people, I, I can't watch anything now without that critical part of my brain going off on everything, you know, and having, uh, having those moments, uh, fed when, you know, like, uh, the, what the clocks have eyes or whatever that movie was where the, all the, of a sudden the it's Azazel teaching yeah, the, the house with a clock in its walls. I, there you go. I, yeah, clearly the title was horrible for people to <laughs> remember because I just, that was the worst I title of a movie, movie ever. Yeah. But anyway, just to briefly mention that, that, you know, for anyone that was confused in that film, there's a scene where there's literally a blood ritual that takes place and it shows one of the characters, uh, meeting with a, a, a Zazel. They call him a Zazel and he's, you know, teaching them certain wisdom and stuff like that. It's crazy. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, and you see it all the time. And, uh, you know, if anybody listens to Canary Cry News Talk or any of our bonus episodes on Patreon, you'll, you get pretty used to hearing my movie updates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do watch a lot of movies and, I, you know, part of it is I just love to sit there and pick out the symbolism or uh, pick out the predictive programming or things like that. And one of the big ones recently, one of the big movies was obviously Marvel uh, or Captain Marvel, where, uh, you know, there she, she turns out to be a, a light being and she comes from a planet who has a artificially intelligent super intelligence that rules the the cosmos and actually this artificial intelligence um you know governing human beings is a big one right now that's popping up all over the place and so i don't know i think we got to keep our eyes out for something like that yeah definitely did you ever watch lost no i have not but before you go off on on that with the captain Mm -hmm. marvel thing yeah 
there's a Newsweek article that actually talked about the connection between, you know, the DOD and Marvel to create Captain Marvel. Totally. Yeah. And so, yeah, just, you know, just to mention that there's, it's not so secret anymore. You know, it's pretty open that they're collaborating yeah, on, on and, some of these storylines. And we're going to get into that here in a second. The only thing I wanted to say about Lost is I've been rewatching Lost recently. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch Lost? No. Oh my gosh, you would love it. Whenever you have an extra mm, <laughs> Three 70, years. 75 hours. <laughs> okay, it's not too bad. Yeah, I think if you watch them all back to back, it's probably, no, it's definitely more than 75 hours. But that show is chock full. I mean, the whole thing is is based around uh, occult symbolism, biblical symbolism, extra biblical symbolism, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. The Vatican gets in there and uh, they basically just play out a bunch of these sort of ancient storylines. And it's, it's very interesting. And they use they use uh, names like Abaddon and... Um, stuff like that for different characters. So that's just a fun one to hone your skills for spotting these things. Mm. But Gons, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. What in the world is happening? It's just everybody in Hollywood (laughs) in on the, did did everybody in Hollywood plan 9-11? Is that what this all is? Uh, No, maybe probably not, but correct. (laughs) (laughs) Correct answer. So it's been known for a long time that um, intelligence agencies have been placing basically agents within different entertainment and new. Well, we're not even talking about news now, but uh, entertainment and news organizations. And this comes in different forms. Um, A lot of times, for instance, the military will just offer expertise to writers and film uh, producers and film directors, you know, because uh, they just want to make sure everything is uh, everything gets straight. The FBI famously has had a huge role in the entertainment industry um, because then they admit it themselves. They just wanted, you know, well, they're. Their explanation is they just wanted to make sure everybody knew the FBI was the good guys and they wanted to, (laughs) you know, uh, be able to uh, affirm that the FBI is so talented and paint everybody in a good light. Uh, But, you know, when you have intelligence agencies having such a strong hand in uh, what gets put into the entertainment industry, it's a reason for concern. Um, yeah. Also, like you mentioned with uh, Captain Marvel, the DOD and especially the Air Force, you know, they had their names and their hands all over it. But Gans, there's one organization that I found particularly interesting. Have you ever heard of the uh, the Lear Foundation? Yes. You have. Oh, I have. Well, never mind. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> you, you only told me about him uh, for <laughs> like a week straight. So other than that, I mean, oh, yeah, I guess I was... I've heard of it, but not really. <laughs> I was going off the... on the the Lear Foundation. So uh, Norman Lear, he was a, a he is a very famous television writer and producer, and uh, he's still working today. He's still involved with a lot of projects. Um, But he has uh, an organization. He's very famous for philanthropy. 
And through his philanthropic sort of networks, there's the Hollywood Health and Society. Um, mm. I think it's foundation or something. And they're, they're based at uh, USC, uh, the University of Southern California, Annenberg Norman Lear Center, which is sort of the entertainment communications journalism uh, zone at USC. Now, what Hollywood Health and Society does, well, I have their brochure right here. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to read through this and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into it. Okay. So some quick facts. A quick question. We provide quick answers. We understand your timelines. Now, remember, this uh, brochure is provided to entertainment professionals, writers, producers. This is uh, they're talking to people in the entertainment industry. Right. Quick facts. A quick question. We provide quick answers. We understand your timelines and can get you information you need. Our staff is experienced in TV and film production, as well as public health, science, and medicine. Sounds oh. sounds fine, right? Okay, you got a quick question about... Well, my, my, my skeptical sort of mind will... I mean, I know what I'm reading here, so I guess uh -huh. I have the advantage, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm asking questions already. Okay, well, we'll continue. Consultations. Our extensive database of experts can answer questions and offer perspective with specialists in science, medicine, healthcare, national security, and more. Okay. A database so, of experts. That's an interesting database. way to define people. You're on a list, experts. Uh, briefings. We bring experts to your writer's rooms to brief you on the hottest topic. <laughs> Clinical trials, artificial intelligence, person-centered care, new cancer breakthroughs, maternal health, nuclear risks, cybersecurity, and much more. Uh, then they talk about panels. Our panel discussions feature experts in science and health, writers and producers, and real people. Story real people is in quotes there, which is concerning. <laughs> that is interesting. Writers little, and producers. Little, little, little switcheroo there. Yeah. Writers and producers and, quote, real people, because it would be illegal for them to uh, not put the quotes there. <laughs> Storytellers exploring timely topics for TV and film. Recent panels have discussed have covered maternal health, abortion, HIV, AIDS, aging, opioid addiction, and nuclear risks. So you're kind of getting the idea. They are a group who provides information. They provide information yes. to your Now ears. here's where it uh, kind of gets interesting. On location, we organize informative trips locally and around the world, providing writers with on-the-ground experience and the chance to be mm. inspired by stories from local community members and activists working for change. Trips uh -huh. have covered space travel, oh. gang violence, toxic housing, food inequality, and climate change. Uh, you, I, got, you got the big <laughs> ones. The big ones are right here. If you're a writer, they will take you on a special little field trip. And, that is and crazy. educate you. Right. That, that's insane. That's like indoctrination 101. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's totally like, cause I mean, think about it, you know, space travel, we can get into the, the whole, you know, conspiracy side of that, but we won't in this episode. Yeah. Gang violence is interesting because, you know, danger, like people that, that these writers and stuff that have never experienced like a real life or death situation gets thrown into some kind of crazy life or death situation. <laughs> that's, that's gnarly. It's kind of like uh, you know, trauma hypnosis almost who knows. I really think it's like self-induced kind of, um, sort of indoctrination into 
kind of the dark world. Yeah, it's uh, it's gotten intense. Yeah. Now, yeah. okay, so they have a couple other things they do. They got a newsletter. That's nice of them to let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not getting the idea, the idea is that this is an organization that helps guide writers concerning important topics such as artificial intelligence and uh, abortion and nuclear risks and cybersecurity. Okay. Now here's where I found it pretty interesting. And then I want to talk about uh, something else, but here we go. Aired storylines over a five year period in 2012 to 2017, we provided information and access to experts for 1,105 aired storylines across hundreds of shows on network, cable, and streaming channels. So one th- over a thousand storylines guided by this foundation over the past five years, all across media, network, cable, and streaming channels. So you think, and here's a list of them. You go TV shows we've worked with. These are just TV shows. Uh, and a lot of these I haven't seen, but maybe you guys have. Blackish, The Blacklist, Bull, Chicago Med, Code Black, Days of Our Lives, Doc McStuffins. Oh man, <laughs> if anybody has kids out there, Doc McStuffins. This organization is deep in Doc McStuffins. Uh, East Los High, Elementary, Empire, En Otra Piel, The Fosters, The Good Doctor, Grey's Anatomy, Hawaii Five-0, How to Get Basically Away. Basically every show on, <laughs> that's out there. All the most popular shows, Law and Order, SVU, Madam Secretary, of course, Orange is the New Black, Pretty Little Liars, and I'm skipping a bunch here, <laughs> Shameless. Uh, and at the end, of course, they say many more. So you have an organization who guides the, it's, it's almost like a silent hand guiding the, the milieu of entertainment. Yes. The worldview of, and, uh, you know, of course this is a, is a very liberal, if you're talking, if you just want to talk politics, they're a very liberal organization. And so, you know, you can. Uh, sort of guess their the guidance they give on things like uh, abortion and nuclear risks and cybersecurity and and things like that. They they seem to be really big on climate change because if you go to the climate website change, and click yeah, around, totally. yeah, it's it's oh, like they're huge. Yeah, it's one of the you know the different things that you can do. There's a whole section just for climate change. Just, yeah, and I've noticed yeah. too in their in their materials. Um, I was actually shocked they put abortion on here because they use the term uh, pregnancy and maternal health a lot. And that's yeah. kind of become a code word for abortion as well. Right. Um, which is kind of part of the unfortunate sort of uh, linguistic programming that's happening Ooh. all around. And look at this. Back in 2016, they were part of the Rising to the Challenge 17 Sustainable Development Goals for the U.N., Yes, they are deeply involved in the, uh, you know, the, the, all the big movements going on That's in the world. That's the whole 2030 thing. Mm-hmm. That's why so, we're seeing it. That's probably, I mean, there you go. There's the connection. The there big you loop. go. There you go. The UN to the to USC to your brain. Yeah. Uh, or and to Hollywood much, and then to your brain. Yeah. And in pretty much any show, I mean, thousands yeah. and thousands of 
of stuff that they've influenced. And this brings up the conversation because we talked about both the FBI and DOD and the Air Force and stuff having their hand in scripts and storylines and stuff. And I would imagine that that's a little bit more of an iron fisted approach. Cause like, if you want to do, this is something a lot of people don't know. If you want to do a movie with the FBI in it, you need a certain level of permission to even use the term FBI in your movie. If you're making a big movie. Mm, that's interesting. I actually haven't even thought about that. So you, yeah. you, you do need a, a sign off from the yeah. actual FBI. Mm-hmm, more or less. And, and a lot of times that includes like, yeah, we'll sign off on you, but we need to okay the script. Let us make a few, you know, they take a red pen to your script. Um, I would hate that as a writer. I would just change the name, you know? Yeah, totally. The federal (laughs) bull insiders. (laughs) The FDI. Yeah. so yeah, so you have sort of that hard-handed approach with uh, military and intelligence agencies, and then you kind of have the the worldview approach, where now the Lear Foundation does have uh, some grants and funding opportunities that they are able to uh, sort of pipe into different products or projects products, and I've actually listened to some podcasts that had the Norman Lear Foundation as some of their underwriters. Um, I believe NPR, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe I shouldn't say that cause I'm not positive <laughs> which one it was. Um, so, you know, they, they sponsor podcasts. They, they kind of throw a little bit of weight around and who now, you know, I, I don't have any specific examples if they actually throw money into major entertainment like movies and tv shows but it it would not surprise me but what we have here is a real societal worldview sort of guiding principles organization that is uh you know more or less infiltrating the majority of tv i would say now i don't have the numbers on that but a lot of television some very very popular shows and well, so yeah. when you're looking for predictive programming, um, this also brings up a couple of things to think about, which is, well, did you have something to say regarding that before I take well, another I w- step forward? Yeah, I was just going to say that there are things to look for, you know, different shades of things to look for. You know, if you're looking at it just from a political spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, you will see that a lot of the, the shows lean leftist. Uh, so mm-hmm. to speak, or at least totally. to have that sort of sensibility, mm-hmm. or if they, if they do, you know, kind of appeal to the right, right side or the conservative side, there's always some kind of, you know, there's like a little bit of a twist to it or, or something just, there to also, just to make it like, yeah, go ahead. Or some sort of embarrassment or something. Yeah. 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 Always that. But yeah. We'll dig into some of that stuff later as well. But yeah, just to mention that there are, you know, there, there's that angle, but then there's also the bigger stuff like we started with in 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, some more crazy stuff like AI and aliens and things yeah. we might t- talk about later. Well, and this brings up uh, something that I was thinking about and I think is sort of a subtlety that gets overlooked a lot in the predictive programming conversation mm-hmm. um, because you have examples like 9-11 where, I mean, it's just like so hard to ignore. Pretty All, overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, it's really overwhelming. But there's, I think there's something subtle. Well, there's a couple subtleties and, you know, predictive programming, it, it's one of these things where, you know, personally, I don't, it's so easy 
to go into a YouTube black hole and just watch predictive programming after predictive programming video of people, you know, Captain Marvel exposed for the Illuminati, that, that sort of thing. So basically what I do. What we've all (laughs) been guilty of. So it's so easy to fall into the YouTube rabbit hole, but there's some things to keep in mind. Number one is it can be easy as someone who loves to go to the movies and loves to keep up on my, my stories, of course, lost being one of them. It's easy to, one thing about predictive programming is you can't really figure out what the prediction is until something happens. Now we can have an idea, like for instance, uh, right now, a lot of stuff with artificial intelligence, obviously now that we know is being guided by the Lear Foundation, you know, we got to keep an eye out for some artificial intelligence breakthroughs coming through or, or right, some kind of societal impact that'll change the way we live and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the real question is, what sort of reaction are they expecting us to have? Like, because the conversation goes, well, okay, they were putting it in. Uh, they put Cookie Monster destroying the two towers in 1976. But why? What sort of reaction are we supposed to have? And there's a couple of theories on this. One of the theories that I see most addressed by skeptics, and I want to get into the skepticism because I think it's good to, to mm-hmm. keep a balance in your own mind. But one of the biggest skepticisms of predictive programming is, well, if they're telling us about 9, 11, 20, 30 years beforehand, what exactly are they trying to do? Are they just trying to make it so we're so used to it and we don't, uh, we don't react to it or we, uh, the government saves the day in the films and therefore we bow to the government or accept whatever. It's a big uh, question of why. Yeah. What, what's the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. And the skeptic answer is, well, the, the, the view that the skeptics usually f- push against is, oh, they they think that people who believe in predictive programming think that, oh, they show us a whole bunch so that we don't react when it happens. Or we, you know, we're, we're so used to seeing it that we just, you know, don't uh, overthrow the government immediately. We're numb like to it because we're right. so desensitized. And so we don't really know what to do. There's no, uh, it's, it suppresses us from some kind of uprising. Yeah. And skeptics will push back on this, but there's, and, and I think that's right to do. I, cause obviously we did react to nine 11 and it did, you know, activate everybody to support a war in the middle East, which turned out to be a total sham. So it wasn't about numbing us to it, but there's the other view that does not get a lot of attention by skeptics, which is simply signaling by those in charge. Yeah. Showing that this is in the works. And, you know, I always, I think part of the skepticism comes from the, the players in the, whatever the programming is too, like 9-11, you know, we keep touching on that one. Because it's a clear, like, hey, there's a bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and we're the good guys. And and that, that makes sense because, you know, you talk about how it got everyone into war. Yeah, that makes sense because the bad guys were always going to be the ones that are going to destroy the towers, right? It, it was right. never the other way around. But 
you know, it's a little more ambiguous when it comes to like the alien concept. You know, some aliens like e- uh, E.T., the movie E.T., Spielberg, um, it was about a friendly alien, whereas Armageddon was about the, you know, the aliens trying to take over. You know, so right. there's always like, oh, what's the agenda there? Like, is it, you know, what's going on there? But the signaling, I think, makes sense because it's almost as if they they need to tell us. And that's that's the part that the, I guess, the esoteric understanding of this is that they need to tell us what they're going to do right uh, because it's it's for whatever their logic is it is wrong in, yeah. in their moral sort of i guess appeals to well it's it's not even side. moral you know in in the magical sense in certain schools of magic in order to perform magic on someone you need to have them agree to it um, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's yeah. A con- the contractual part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's 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 different Spiritual. schools of this, different different thoughts, and obviously within the sort of esoteric realms, there's all sorts of different stuff. But one of them is, um, you know, that uh, if you're going to perform a ritual or or exact magic on a person or a population, they need to agree to it. And so putting things out into the public in a mass form. And doing it a whole lot is a way to get, you know, a massive amount of people. And if they enjoy it and like it and talk about it and, you know, it's their favorite movie or whatever, that would form some kind of consent to have the uh, the magic performed on you or the ritual to have an effect. Yeah, it's 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 a weird logic in there too. I mean, yeah. I, I guess magic itself is is very twisted. Well, logic there's to all begin sorts with, of weird logic to, <laughs> to magic. <laughs> and this is just one of of my theories. And there's a couple other people who have uh, sort of touched on it. Um, but you know that that does exist in some of these esoteric uh, schools of magic, and that 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 is the theory of predictive programming that makes the most sense to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. So there's a lot of uh, ways that it could go. And there's a lot of people, like I said, on YouTube, on all over the Internet. There's a lot of people talking about predictive programming. I think it's important to keep an open mind to exactly what the mechanisms are, um, because there's a lot of psychological mechanisms as well. And there's a lot of arguments made for those psychological mechanisms. Um, and uh, as far as the st- skeptics are concerned, there's a lot of uh, reasons why the psychological mechanisms don't work. There's, this, like I said, I'm having to say psychological mechanisms a lot. But uh, social learning theory is a psychological concept where, you know, children learn how to act from their parents, from watching other people. And so if uh, a mass population is watching, you know, certain messages come across in movies, for instance, uh, one of the examples that's used a lot is like the Hunger Games, a recent very popular one where the government is a tyrannical government and uh, the, you know, the, the heroes and hero uh, fight against this tyrannical government. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories revolving around just tyrannical government in general. And the Hunger Games could be seen as predictive programming uh, involving, you know, the government uh, exacting some 
ferocious power over the population. Right. That's and less of an event, but more of a less than of event, outcome. more of, yeah, more of like a worldview type of thing. Um, and this one is, is fairly popular. You know, Alex, Alex Jones talked about this one and, and, uh, which means all the other people talked about it. And I'm kind of drifting into the skepticism part of the show here, because I think it's important to see the the different sides of it. The problem is that uh, people pick out is that social learning is very context driven. So, yeah. They would say, well, the tyrannical government takes over, but they're the bad guys and and everybody knows they're the bad guys. And and so that's that couldn't possibly be predictive programming, because then if a tyrannical government comes around, we'll know they're the bad guys. And Gons, I actually brought this one up to you because in the Hunger Games, yeah, there is a, a small rebel force that fights back. And there is the hero, Jennifer Lawrence, who eventually uh, wins some sort of victory over this tyrannical government. Mm -hmm. The problem is that all of her friends and family die. It's a horrible experience for this hero. So in the real world, especially a world, you know, heavily medicated on fluoride and sleeping pills, you know, everybody's going to be sitting around waiting for a hero to rise up and defeat the tyrannical government. And maybe there's somebody out there awake enough. Maybe there's somebody out there with nothing to lose who wants to overthrow the government. Well, real life doesn't really happen that way, A. And B, that person has got to be ready to lose everything to maybe make a dent in this tyrannical government. So the messaging, predictive programming-wise, would not be, oh, tyrannical government bad, uh, rebels overthrow government good. The messaging being absorbed to this subconscious of people watching is, oh, man, sure looks like a lot of dangerous work to overthrow that government. Yeah. Man, I'm going to play Overwatch a few more hours first. <laughs> Well, it, I think it, it just plants a seed into the minds of people what it would be like in that situation. Right. And and to identify with the captives is one thing psychologically that people can, you know, it, it, it could seep into the mind of like, oh, this is what it would be like. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's kind of like that now. Yeah. You know, you look around all of a sudden and, oh, how do we get here? But there you go. Totally. Maybe it was, you got to look at the situation. You said context earlier, and I get that, that that concept of, you know, it's how things are framed, especially in hindsight, it's much easier. Like we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to read some more skepticism here from rationalwiki.org. They give a little bit of description of what it is and how it works. And, you know, they're obvious skeptics to the whole thing. And then they have this section called problems. And here we go. And we'll read them out. We'll see what's a viable problem, and we will uh, see what's not a viable problem. The first problem, I'm quoting now, is the question of why nobody in the entertainment industry has leaked this information out. (laughs) According to the example from Ike, talking about uh, David Ike, who talked about this quite a bit, um, the shot in Dark Knight Rises showing a close-up of a map with the name Sandy Hook visible is deliberate predictive programming. 
If that were the case, then logically several people involved in the shot would have been in on the conspiracy. The director, the cameraman, whoever obtained a map showing Sandy Hook as a prop, uh, and the stagehand who positioned the map on the what? table in the no. right position. Or only one person using CGI, just the editor himself, an editorial underling, or a single infiltrator. If plans to commit mass murders are regular be regularly being revealed to the entertainment industry, and the information is apparently reaching low-level workers, such as cameramen and stagehands, then surely one of them would have blown the whistle by now. Now, Gons, you see what's wrong with that argument, right? <laughs> Uh, I think the first half of the episode debunks like most of what you read there. <laughs> right. So the, the skepticism there is that everybody would have to be in on it. You know, the cameraman, the stagehand, the director, the writer, everybody would have to be privy. Now, I'm not, I don't have, I have no idea about this Sandy Hook um, showing Reference. up in the dark at night arises. Yes. I haven't even seen The Dark Knight Rises, so, but I have heard this one. But the fact that you would think that the director, the cameraman, the prop master, and the stagehand would all have to know exactly why that's going in there is just lunacy. It All it has to do is the writer of the script has to say, oh, and on the map it says Sandy Hook on the map. And other, uh, even less than that, it could be somebody from some organization influencing the writer that tells him to do that. And everybody else just follows the script. Nobody needs to know anything. And this leads into another skepticism of, you know, this is a lot of, this is a skepticism of a lot of conspiracy theories, but I think it applies here as well. And that is that not everybody could be on in on the conspiracy. You know, there's a million people working in the entertainment industry. Why is nobody leaked that this is happening? Well, first of all, people do leak it all the time. It's just nobody believes them. Well, plus, as we mentioned, I mean, the the, the fairly public about, I mean, these are public groups and stuff. Yes. And even articles saying like, it. oh, the DOD came in and, you know. <laughs> Helped out with this, uh, the Captain Marvel. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's not like it's a secret. It's not a secret. And, you know, whenever this comes up, I always refer to the Manhattan Project. You mm. know, the top secret project that went on for years and years and involved like 130,000 people in America that was kept completely secret that built the nuclear bombs. There was, oh, yeah, oh, that one. That one. That's the one. <laughs> I mean, all you have to do is look at the Manhattan Project. Over 100,000 people worked on the nuclear bombs, and they all kept it a secret for years and years and years until, of course, you couldn't keep it a secret anymore because uh, uh, there was incineration involved, and uh, they actually dropped the bomb. But if you can get 100,000 people to keep something as technologically exciting you know, at the time as nuclear energy or nuclear bombs to win the world war. This is going to, this is the most exciting news any one of these Americans would have heard. And over a hundred thousand people kept it secret. And you don't think that somebody could keep, you know, putting Sandy Hook on a, on a map. Yeah. Right. Keeping that. That's just ludicrous. It's a total straw man. Rational argument. wiki. Not so rational. Not so rational on this particular one. 
So let's see what other skepticisms we have here before we take a little break. Well, mm. I think one of the things is the um, uh, well, the list here that there's another article that we got with a list of them, and uh, I mean we kind of covered the, covered some of these poorly defined purposes, mm-hmm. uh, implausible psychological mechanisms, mm-hmm. um, pseudoscientific underpinning. This one was interesting because they were talking about NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming, right? And how you know the conspirators will cite NLP because it sounds scientific, you know, like oh they're using NLP here, yeah. Uh, therefore, it must be you know it must be evil, and it, it, you know a lot of it. A lot of the criticism comes with this very strict good versus bad type of, you know, like, oh, th- these people are saying it's all a conspiracy, it's all bad. I'm not saying that it's good. I'm saying that it's not so clear when they actually carry it out, you know? Right. And so, it's, it's so yeah, they use NLP. And I think NLP being uh, a major part of um, advertising, marketing, you know, these are all low level forms of mind control yeah i mean if you if you want to just really be straightforward about it totally it's, it's the science of, of mind control with all this stuff and um yeah so i think you know bringing up nlp and pointing it out isn't so crazy yeah uh you, you it's pretty obvious when you see certain words be repeated over and over, over again in ads and things like that so it's not crazy to think that it exists uh i guess it's the matter of you know what's the purpose and wh- whether the purpose on the surface is Hey, we want to, we just want to sell more products. Right. You know, I mean, there, there's gotta be like, there's gotta be something, number one, spiritual going on. Obviously we always talk about the spiritual things going on uh, behind the, the fleshly carnal side of things. Um, but then also, you know, what kinds of worldviews are being piggybacked uh, on top of whatever, you know, the, the basic, Oh, we're just trying to sell this product. Well, no, you're always selling some kind of worldview. Always. Yeah. So, well, that's kind yeah. of the point, too. And, it, and it, it, I'm glad you brought up marketing because marketing is the same thing that's happening with a lot of the predictive programming, which is uh, on a very basic level, you want someone to feel something, whether mm-hmm. you want them to feel like they want a Coke or you want them to feel a certain way about uh, an, an event. Um, perfume, right. And here's the key, here's the key factor because yes, psychology, sociology, anthropology, these are all very imperfect. Um, if you're just talking about the science, it's all very soft science. It's all very imperfect. Mm -hmm. The thing that makes it work is when you repeat it over decades and you have a large sample size. So you just talk about America, forget the globe and American entertainment goes all across the globe. So we're talking about in, in the B or, or the, or the plank cake. Yes. Or the, or the plank cake. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't inclusive in my earth <laughs> speak. It's okay. You're, you're, I'm, you're, you're forgiven. We're very tolerant here. Um, so where was I? Oh, it's a numbers game. So just talk about America. You got 300 million people. Maybe let's just talk about a hundred million of them who actively engage in watching movies on a regular basis. I don't know what the actual numbers are, but let's just play with that. We're talking about a hundred million people. Yeah. Are you going to hypnotize every single one into buying a Coke? No, but you're going to hypnotize enough to make it worth your while. And it's the same thing when it comes to entertainment, whether it's predictive programming or whatever. You may not 
brainwash everybody into responding how you want, but you'll get enough over a period of time that you can get the reactions that you're looking for, such as, you know, justifying a war in the Middle East. That is right. probably unjustified. Yeah. Yeah. And the humans in general, you know, I mean, biblically speaking, we're, we're sheep, right? Yeah. So it's kind of, there you go. <laughs> it's kind of easy sheeple. probably to hurt us, you know, especially with uh, the mind control box that yeah. we got all over the, all the place now. Now, one skepticism of, uh, of predictive programming that is logical and does need to be taken into account is that a lot of time you, you don't know what's predictive until something happens. Right. So, you know, right now I watch a lot of movies. I'm for a lot of good reasons, predicting that uh, artificial intelligence is going to have some major, you know, some major, it's going to need some major public approval pretty soon. And when I say pretty <laughs> soon, I mean, f- maybe five, 10 years. Now, is that an amazing rele- revelatory thing for me to say? Probably not. Although I do surround myself with artificial intelligence information all the time between all of our shows. But, uh, you know, I've seen it in enough movies that it's starting to get a message across, in my opinion. But I won't know. Yeah, we we shouldn't be too hasty about that because uh, one of the things that um, this uh, particular article from ConspiracyPsychology.com talks about with with the fifth thing, the lack of predictive validity, which you're talking about here, Mm -hmm. um, it goes into the London Olympic false flag event, which is a little different from what you had predicted, but (laughs) but it's funny that he mentions it because he uh, says here, uh, quote, pretty much everyone who was into predictive programming thought that the, there would be a false flag attack of some kind at the 2012 Olympics in London, but the Olympics in general went without a hitch, but that's inaccurate reporting there because obviously it, it wasn't a false flag people were looking for. It was obviously the arrival of aliens. We were right? looking right, for the <laughs> aliens, man. I knew they were going to come. The so, aliens did not land. I was false reporting. A, I was a victim. By this guy. And yeah. And so there you go. And uh, to be fair, to be just to be completely fair, this is not a comprehensive database of the skepticisms or criticisms about predictive programming, but it's only fair. And I think it's important after all the years of doing this show that, you know, we approach these things with, uh, with a level head and logically and keep all the possibilities um, in mind when we move forward with these types of, of thought processes, because you know, it's, it's easy to get sucked into a black hole. That's, that's just unhealthy. Yeah. And depending on the topic too, it really determines how, you know, one might be interpreting the predictions or the imagery being shown because again, something like AI it's, you know, I guess there's, you know, the robot is here or whatever, that sort of event, but Mm -hmm. in general, it's kind of a slow crawl with like you know integration into computers and businesses and things like that it's it's not so much the robot you know a sentient robot anyway right. walking around all of a sudden so uh but you know who knows maybe there's stuff like that going on in the deep mountains but we, we don't know that stuff publicly you know and, sentient uh, robots in the deep mountains everybody deep mountains. You've, you've heard it here first and gone's i think that is a great time <laughs> to move into our very fun and exciting middle segment. Don't hit the skip button. Stay around. It's going to be a fun segment. 
Okay, everybody, welcome to the middle part of the show. We're going to get back to the conversation here soon. But first, I have an announcement to make, and then there's going to be some stuff in the middle, and Gons has a very important announcement to make. So stick around here. But first, Gons, do you hear Do you hear the tweeting? I love the, old, the birds. The, the innocent chirping. They're so lovely and the so peaceful. The chirping of the birds. Yes. Lies. They're all lies. <laughs> Why? Why would you Guns. do that? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Okay. We've been following the birds aren't real conspiracy theory that's been floating around the internet. We, we, you have been following. We have completely focused our attention entirely on this fake conspiracy theory uh, that uh, has been floating around the internet called birds aren't real. And, uh, you know, this is something I've expressed my passion about on some of our other shows, including uh, some of our Patreon bonus shows. And it's been quite the hoot. And uh, it's, it's picked up steam in the Canary Cry community over there on Facebook. A couple of very subtle plugs for our Patreon and the Canary Cry community, which now has 2,000 members in it. So there's a shameless plug for the Patreon and the Canary Cry community on Facebook. You want to gonna want to jump in there, but Gons, let me remind you of the birds aren't real conspiracy. Mm-hmm. This conspiracy uh, states that birds were all killed off by the government a few decades back and were replaced <laughs> by drones, which continuously spy on us. So there's a, every bird you see is a is a mechanical robot. Drone bird. Fake. No real birds. All the birds are fake birds now, mm, thanks interesting. to the government. Yep. And they spy on us and they, uh, you know, they look innocent enough. But, um, you know, there's mountains of evidence to support this claim. <laughs> but here's the most hilarious thing that I have seen about the birds aren't real conspiracy. Audubon.org. Yeah. Audubon.org, the Audubon Society, the global society of people obsessed with birds and looking at them and appreciating them for all of their avian goodness. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they heard about the Birds Aren't Real campaign. Oh, and they wrote a scathing response. Oh, no, they did. And this is not a funny response. Oh, no. Yeah. I th- I'm just going to say right now, they did not write a humorous response. They wrote a very long, uh, maybe like, uh, tw- wow, maybe 15 paragraphs um, exposing the birds aren't real movement. Oh and uh, they go through a very deep explanation of it and they start comparing it, you know, to crazy, quote, crazy right wing conspiracies like QAnon. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they, they're sort of poking at it for being fake, but they're being they're also very serious about the serious consequences of it now they do a little explanation of the birds aren't real uh conspiracy Mm -hmm. i would like to hear it in their words (laughs) well like i said there's uh there's 15 paragraphs but here i'll read this okay the cia assassinated john f kennedy after he refused to kill and replace 
billions of birds with drones. <laughs> the U.S. government is sequestering a team of Boeing engineers in Area 51 for a secret military mission. Our tax dollars have been funneled into building the Turkey X-500, a robot used to hunt large birds. Combine all these conspiracies and you get Birds Aren't Real, a nearly two-year-old movement that claims the CIA took out 12 billion feathered fugitives because directors within the organization were, quote, annoyed that birds had been dropping fecal matter on their own car windows. End quote. The targets were eradicated between 1959 and 1971 with specially altered B-52 bombers stocked with poison. They were then supplanted with avian-like robots that could be used to surveil Americans. Sounds extreme, but also somewhat fitting, giving the landscape of today's social discourse. By surfacing murky bits of history and ubiquity of aves, birds aren't real feeds into this era of post-truth politics. The campaign relies <laughs> on internet-fueled guerrilla marketing to spread its message, manifesting through real-world posters and photoshopped propaganda tagged with birds aren't real slogan. Now, here's the thing. They, uh, again, this is the Audubon Society, audubon.org, which most of the site is just filled with stuff about birds, <laughs> which I guess makes this... Uh, Makes this really fitting. Now, they actually called up the creator of the Birds Aren't Real conspiracy theory. Um, and uh, he's 20 years old. Oh, my gosh. Peter McIndo. And they had a conversation with him. And the article continues. McIndo didn't break character once during a 30-minute long <laughs> phone interview with Audubon. He defended the movement's legitimacy mainly by proselytizing about what Birds Aren't Real isn't. Quote, the thought that this could be used to make a satire of a dark, intense time in American culture, I find those things to be baloney, McIndo says. What isn't baloney is the attention birds aren't real has drawn on social media, thanks to Instagram, blah, blah, blah. He has a bunch of uh, Instagram followers, <laughs> things like that. So basically, the, these guys are just like really upset. They, they see the conspiracy on the Internet. They see people sharing it and all this kind of stuff. And they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, now. Hey, get in line. Well, it, it all comes it all comes to a head at the end here. Okay. I love this. Because it's very serious. They use birds aren't real to make all sorts of very serious political statements. And sure. uh, then at the end here, they say, for now, though, this shallow conspiracy seems harmless and may even be a net gain for birds. <laughs> Jordan Rudder, birds. the director of... <laughs> it's a net gain for birds. Jordan Rudder, the director of public relations at the American Bird Conservancy, thinks the intricate history behind McIndo's movement is hilarious and thus something positive. Quote, anything that gets people talking about birds is a good thing. <laughs> there you go. And we agree because, you know, yeah. they start talking birds, then they start talking canaries, and then they start, you know, thinking yeah. conspiracy. And now you got conspiracy, That's canary, right. canary cry radio. Boom. We're right there. Just like, hey, what up? Full circle. All you Leads crazy people. Us. who. <laughs> Look up birds aren't real. Find us. Yeah, that's right. So the Audubon Society is getting involved in uh, writing about uh, conspiracy theories here. And look, I skipped most of this article. They go, they are very harsh on the concept of conspiracy theories. Much of this article is talking about how uh, 
this conspiracy theory about birds just isn't okay. Yeah. And then, but it ends with a very uh, uplifting, uh, very uplifting positive message at the end. Anything that gets people talking about birds is a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Says uh, the director of public relations at the American Bird Conservancy. Yeah. The most recent example of the birds aren't real making headlines happens to be in Gimpy Times, Gimpy, Australia. And uh, this yeah, was okay. this was uh, in the beginning of April. Another explosive conspiracy theory appears to have gripped the minds of the gimpy locals after flyers bearing the words "birds aren't real." So there you go. Mm, they're spreading the good word. Yep, and the and the bro or the piece of paper says "birds aren't real," then it says "wake up, wake up, sheeple." So birds aren't real. So, so, so there the, you go. There's the your little "birds aren't real" update. The critique that it was just to spy U.S. citizens is wrong. They're doing it in Australia as well. And, ah, and Italy. yes. The birds aren't real. is global. <laughs> it's gone global. All the birds. So yeah. there you go. There's your little birds aren't real update, everybody. And uh, here's the thing. We're going to move into a couple of little housekeeping announcements. You've been getting a nice free show here for a while. And just uh, I've got some we've got some fun stuff to tell you about. First of all, thanks for everybody who's been leaving iTunes reviews. Uh, things like that really helps out this show, especially as we move into this new year of doing shows. Um, so if you go to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using leave a rating and a review goes a long way puts us on the list baby so more people can find the birds we should just uh, declare like march or april as the canary cry new year and that's when our new year starts and that way uh you know people <laughs> won't be so upset season <laughs> yeah we just took a hiatus so well, technically, it's a new, it's you know, a new year. CCR started in March, you know, of 2012. So yeah. in a way, mm-hmm. it is kind of a new year when it hits March. So we're not too far behind. That's right. Year seven. This is our seventh year. Yeah. All right. Anyway. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you have any funny or good or heartwarming iTunes reviews sitting in right in front of you? Uh, No. Well, luckily, I make it my homepage. I think we have a bad connection. Uh Uh-oh. Also, I want to let you guys know that we have our Patreon account. We have yet to set up uh, an an anti-Patreon account at uh, the fundraising platform of your guys' choosing. So if you guys have an alternative to Patreon that you would like, please uh, send that to canarycryradio at gmail.com. That's canarycryradio at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, we're entirely listener-supported. And here's the thing. That means that we don't sell your attention. We work very hard to gain your trust, and we uh, are very thankful that you give us your attention. And we have yet to sell that attention to uh, any sort of corporate sponsors. That's right. Independent, baby. And independent shows like this can only continue with help from the listeners. And that's you guys. So right now, if you go to canarycryradio.com slash support, you can find all sorts of PayPal options there to sign up and help out the show. Or if you want to head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio, you can get 
in on all sorts of fun rewards. That's right. One of the most fun of the rewards is we actually do bonus episodes over there. And we've been doing those bonus episodes a little bit more laid back. There's man, almost 20 of those over there now. So if you want 20 extra episodes of uh, Basil and Gons, head over there, uh, sign up to support the show. Not only are you supporting a show that is independent from corporate sponsors, which means corporate interests, that doesn't sell your attention for our own personal gain. We are fully committed to uh, uh, being supported by our listeners. You guys are the ones... Um, the more, you know, the more support we get, the more that we're able to pour into the show, the more often we're able to do uh, episodes, the more time we can make. That's what makes the show happen. So if you haven't yet done it, go to canarycryradio.com slash support or go to patreon.com slash canarycryradio and sign up. There's all sorts of other good stuff going on there. Now, Gans, you have a very exciting announcement. Yeah, and before I mention it, uh, I do want to thank people who are still giving, especially those like big one-time donations that people give. We got one recently, and it was one of those situations where it was like, well, we definitely don't deserve that because we haven't put out an episode in four months. But you guys are there to support, so we really appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot of people that live out in my neck of the woods. I know, Basil, you live in, uh, in multiple locations and in one place of nowhere at the same time, and it's a very confusing I'm situation for you. Baby. Yeah, everywhere and nowhere at once. But for regular people like us uh, or like myself, you know, we, we usually live in one location. I happen to live in Orange County in California, and, you know, finding a, a crowd or a place to do a prophecy kind of driven conference has been difficult. I mean, I think when, you know, we put together the prophecy forum, we towed ourselves to Ohio to do it. Uh, so we have something here. Save the date, October 10th through the 13th of 2019. Here, the Watchman, California, Disclosure on the Coast, Prophecy Uncensored. I like it. It sounds uh, pretty epic. And, uh, you know, you would think that we can find a church to do it at, but no, it will be at the Irvine Hilton, uh, so a hotel hosting Ooh. the event. And uh, that's that's right where I... Hung out. Irvine is a place I grew up in. So there you go. Very cool to come come to my uh, backyard. It'll uh, contain Eli Marzuli, Russ Dizdar, Messianic Rabbi Zev Porat, Pastor Paul Begley, Stephen Bankers, Josh Peck, Michael Boldea, Pastor Phil Kord, Troy Anderson, and myself. I'll be speaking there too, Basil. Woo! That's going to be awesome. You know, I might just have to make a... Uh Make a trip down to the homeland for that one. Yeah, I might have to... Are you going to be speaking on Birds Aren't Real? I I might have to do some kind of uh, stunt with you, you know, uh, during my talk. Lower me down from the ceiling. Yeah, something grandiose and unexpected. It's going to have to be a stunt because they're not going to let me in there without a press badge or something. (laughs) Yeah, but I I can get you in in a big duffel bag or something. I'll just yeah, say, hey, it's my prop. There we go. That's using your noodle. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Where can people go to uh, buy tickets and such if they can't get snuck in in a duffel bag? Yes, you can go to hearthewatchman.com and you'll see all the information you need on the homepage there. Okay, go get it. I'll see you there. Get, <laughs> should we play like a Where's Waldo? 
with the uh, fine basil at the conference? Maybe. We well, we should. It's, we should make it a little fun game for the people that might attend. It's been a while since we've been to a conference, Gons. I know. With at least the two of us, it's been, I think, since the one in Ohio. Yep. Okay, well, Gons, are you ready to get back into the predictive programming? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we've gone through a whole bunch of stuff about predictive programming, the 9-11 stuff, and even, you know, some of the skeptical side of the conversation, looking at it a little bit more objectively, trying to poke holes in the the theory of predictive programming or uh, the sort of concept of it. And, you know, I think we're discovering that there's a lot of different ways that people interpret the idea because there's not like a, a singular textbook you know, that you learned in school about predictive programming. It's more of a, uh, an analysis happening in hindsight type of situation. Uh, but it's interesting right. that these concepts have been around for a long time. And there's a guy named Ed Bernays. I think you're familiar with the name Ed Bernays, Basil. But if you haven't heard of him, he's considered, I guess, the father of propaganda, right? One of them anyway? Yeah, totally. Edward Bernays, he has a book called The Engineering of Consent. And here's what he said about engineering consent. He says, quote, it's use of an engineering approach that is action based only on through knowledge of the situation and on the application of scientific principles and tried practices to the task of getting people to support ideas and programs. This is 1955, Edward Bernays mentioning this. So, you know, again, you know, we know that this, these concepts have been around for a while, but put very succinctly, uh, what is it? Four, five, six decades ago or something now. If you've been listening to this episode up until this point, you know that basically the entire thing is foundational on uh, the idea of films and moving pictures. It really changed the idea of programming the masses or getting people to support ideas and programs because prior to the television, uh, you know, it was a little bit different. You, you, it was done through more of a communal sense of people that have uh, knowledge like teachers or priests. That's how information spread and that's how people supported ideas or programs, if you will. Uh, but that all changed when film came around. And so, you know, for my little segment here, I wanted to get in and, and play some clips for you guys from some of the oldest uh, films that are out there that seemed uh, or at least appear to have a predictive programming bent to it because there's a theme with moving pictures and films ever since the beginning. And that's, you know, the concept or the topic of the end of the world, which I don't know. It's, it, it, it struck me, Basil, to discover that the first film, or one of the first films about the end of the world, it's called The End of the World, and it was a 1916 silent film, and it depicts worldwide catastrophe. It even has a preacher that keeps people safe on a raft, and I mean, it, you know, it, it's one of those disaster movies, but way back in 1916. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider that the, the fear-mongering thing is not new. It's been going on forever, especially since the film became a thing. And, you know, I said I was going to play clips, but, you know, the first one here, it is a silent film, so it's really kind of pointless to play a clip. <laughs> um, there's just some music. You know how they go. They, there's music. Did you, and Did you have it all? 
Did you have it all lined up and everything? No, no, no. I actually, I I understood as I was making my notes that, uh, you know, this one I I will skip in terms of playing an actual audio clip, but I got, I got more, you know? Okay. Okay. Is it, are you disappointed? Did you want me to play, you know, a little bit? You want me to no, recreate? I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. Of course, of course, it's a silent film from 1916. <laughs> Man, that's like when my great grandma was born. You know, it's interesting because back at the beginning of film, it was unlike anything anybody had ever seen. It and was when sorcery. It comes to predictive programming, we're we're really talking about you know, mass media in general, which started coming about around the turn of the 19th century or uh, 20th 20th. century there. And yeah, but film was a huge part of it because it was very powerful, very powerful to see a storyline acted out versus reading one. And you're able to slip in all that fancy symbolism and, uh, you know, really get the emotion in there that we are talking about. Yeah. So what's, what kind of clips you got for us? All right. So, you know, and you, you imagine a hundred years ago, this is, you know, the people that really were the first to get hit with all this moving picture stuff. It must've been weird, man. You know, the, the, they must've felt like, wow, it's like looking out a window or something, you know? Okay. The first one I want to play clips for is called Deluge from 1933. This is the first clip. It's the Mayday signal. Mm, the magic number right there on the top. Yep. 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 The International Broadcasting Company at this time brings you definite confirmation of the fact that the entire western coast of the United States has been demolished and submerged. At this time, we have no way of knowing definitely the extent of damage to Europe because all means of communication have been destroyed. Even though this international disaster has brought inconceivable havoc elsewhere, as yet we believe there is no cause for general alarm here. However, take immediate steps to control provisions. Evacuate all unstable buildings. Shut off all gas. Panic movements of population can end only in disaster. That's all now. Stand by. I guess it just ends there. Should have clipped it a little sooner there, but yes. You know, there's a very interesting phrase in there. Did you catch it? Uh, there was a few, but which one did? Control all provisions. Mm. I mean, even there we have the idea of, you know, kind of, a, you know, it's being described in a lot of circles as sort of a socialist mentality, but really it's the disaster uh, control mentality where, you know, how do you control people? You control than things that they need to survive. And how do you control the things that they need to survive? Disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, nothing has changed. The shades of religious overtones or undertones or I don't know, middle tones. I don't know. Religious ideas are also prevalent or found in the movie Deluge. If I should die. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. God bless. God bless, Mama, Papa, and sister. And brother. Mm-hmm. That's right, darling. You to bed. Hurry up, honey. There's your daddy. Yes, come on, Marianne. It's time you're in bed, darling. Good night, darling. Go to sleep. Good night, darling. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Mama. 
I'm so frightened. Don't, don't, darling. I don't think anything will really happen. Why don't you go in and try and get some rest? I couldn't. I want to stay here with them. All right, dear. I'll go down and listen to the latest reports. I thought it was interesting that, you know, the the real life kind of possible situation there where people are afraid. You got to put the kids to bed. Uh, the wife is afraid. So uh, she'll stay with the kids. You go down to the radio, you know, or, you know, nowadays, I guess it's the computer. But uh, I don't think anything would happen. I don't think anything will happen, but uh, I'll go. I'll go listen to the radio or <laughs> hit Alt R or Command R or whatever to refresh the, the browser. I don't think anything will happen. I'm going to go get on YouTube, darling. <laughs> that's, a, that's probably how it's going to be like, too. The more and more we get into this live stream thing. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the scenario is, it might be the same, but how we go about you know learning about it or seeing it across the world might be different and uh i don't think anything would happen but i need to go check canary cry radio's <laughs> twitch channel darling yeah perfect and of course there's always the new world leader you have offered me the greatest honor that it is possible for a group of people to give you have asked me to lead you thank you i accept <laughs> been wiser had you chosen someone else i shall probably make a great many mistakes but that's natural that's human but i pledge myself to give you the best that there is in me all i ask of you is your help your enthusiasm your confidence we were ruled by law before some of them good some of them pretty bad but they've all been washed away we're starting fresh but we have behind us the experience of thousands of years. Let's use it. Let's give to our children and to our children's children a finer, cleaner civilization, a more lawful community than that which was given to us. Let's pull together. Sounds like a UN 2030 speech, doesn't it? Darling, <laughs> you just like the yeah. you just like the the, the cultural or the. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on my uh, my early film voice. 1930s, darling. <laughs> I don't think anything will happen. Let me go check the YouTube's. Do you think? I mean, do you think? Did people really talk like that? Like, was that really how they acted back in that day? No, it was Hollywood. Okay, exaggerated yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, it was like. It's just kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you see, uh, oh, I don't know, Tom Cruise or something. It's this little thing called acting guns. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't understand. <laughs> the predictive programming, since that is the topic here, I just find yep. it interesting. 1933, you got the May Day, you got the religious, you know, kind of overtone, and then the New World Leader. Uh, a leader being chosen by the community uh, to to create a new world, a better world, a uh, very apropos to, I guess, pre World War Two. You know, the disasters and then a new world uh, afterwards. So yeah, and later on coming the the European. Oh, what was it before the UN? Oh, League of Nations. League of Nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, all the stuff before the 40s uh, that took place in terms of international institutional organizations mm -hmm. uh, forming. But uh, yeah, there's another one here that I have. In 1936, this is H.G. Wells, a little more popular. Things to come. What's all this fuss about in the papers tonight, Mr. Cavell? Wars and rumors of wars. Crying wolf? Someday a wolf will come. These fools are capable of anything. In that case, what happens to medical research? It has to stop. That'll mess me up. Mess you up. Mess everything up. My God, if war gets loose again. So there you go. Wars and rumors of wars. You got wolves in there. I, li yeah. I, I love the b biblical references, you know? They went straight to Matthew 24 right there in 1936. Gets the people going. Gets them going. They also have Freemasons, who are the technocrats. So that's the sort of man your boss is. Not an unusual type. Everywhere we find these little semi-military upstarts robbing and fighting. That's what endless warfare has led to. Brigandage. What else could happen? But we, who are all that are left of the old engineers and mechanics, have pledged ourselves to salvage the world. We have the airways, all that's left of them. We have the seas. And we have ideas in common. The Brotherhood of Efficiency. The Freemasonry of Science. We're the last trustees of civilization when everything else has failed. I've been waiting for this. I'm yours to command. Not mine. Not mine. No more bosses. Civilization's the command. Not subtle at all, right there. <laughs> to be no, quite honest. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, again, this is Things to Come, H.G. Wells. The third clip here. The theme here being this kind of progress, but they always have someone who wants to stymie the progress. This progress. Suppose I shouted to the world, make an end to this progress. I could talk, talk. Radio is everywhere. This modern world is full of voices. I'm a master craftsman. I have the right to talk. Yes, but will they listen to you? They'll listen, trust them. If I shout, arise, awake, stop this progress before it is too late. I don't know. Maybe that's your grandpa there, Basil. I was gonna say that kind of sounds like Canary Cry Radio of the uh, the the early twentieth century, nineteen thirty six CCR appearance. Canary Cry News Talk. Yeah, that's our. All these program. robots, <laughs> the artificial intelligence, make it stop. Is that Scottish? No, no, it's just actor guy. It started to turn. A little little hint of Scottish, I would say. Yeah, a little bit on the the the, the STOP got a little <laughs> had a little twang on it. Yeah, so there you go. There's a couple examples. There are very early films that definitely have a message that is consistent. It's not different. You know, it's this idea of disaster and then having some kind of new opportunity that emerges from it, and also you know the theme of the people who want to stop the progress. And again, you know, we talk about the 1940s and all the stuff that happened. The 1930s laid all the groundwork. And uh, according to a book titled Science Fiction and the Hidden Global Agenda, written by Carl James, published in 2014 in a section called Scientific Dictatorship, it says, quote, published in 1932, Aldous Huxley's novel Brave New World presented a unique portrayal of the dystopian nightmare Huxley postulated that mass human behavior could be controlled with bread and circuses, endless distractions. Instead of the obvious fist and fear control immortalized by Orwell's Big Brother 16 years later, Huxley utilized the cultural entertainment engine as the ideal tool of oppression. 
This was combined with the pharmacological method in the form of the Soma drug. Debate rages among alternative knowledge researchers regarding Huxley's agenda, role, and intent. Whilst some applaud the veiled revelations that appeared in his work, particularly the doors of perception, others mark him as a distractionist or predictive programmer, one who worked within or toward the common goals of the global agenda. Nevertheless, his agenda associations were quite obvious and extensive. And so we often reference Brave New World and Aldous Huxley's work there, but did you know he had a brother named Julian Huxley? I did not know that. Did you really? You didn't know that? Uh, you know, I hadn't gone into his family lineage. I was too busy uh, cowering in a corner at his visions of the future. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. I'm just acting now, Gonzo. Okay. All right. Good. Yes. Very good actor, Basil. Acting! S- sell it. Sell your acting chops. <laughs> um, Aldous Huxley happened to have a brother named Julian Huxley. And he published a book, I believe it was in the 1940s, but it was not public until I think the 70s or so. The book was called UNESCO, Its Purpose and Philosophy. And on page 60, again, this was a document that was meant for, you know, I guess globalists at the time, the Brotherhood, who, uh, what did they call it? The Brotherhood of Engineers or something? The, the Freemasons of Knowledge, whatever, whatever that, that quote was in the, in the last clip there. Page 60, quote, taking the techniques of persuasion and information and true propaganda that we have learned to apply nationally in war and deliberately bending them to the international tasks of peace, if necessary, utilizing them as Lenin envisaged to overcome the resilience of millions to desirable change using drama to reveal reality and art as the method by which, in Sir Stephen Talent's words, truth becomes impressive and a living principle of action, and aiming to produce that concerted effort which, to quote Grierson, needs a background of faith and a sense of destiny. This must be a mass philosophy, a mass creed, and it can never be achieved without the use of the media of mass communication. UNESCO, in the press of its detailed work, must never forget this enormous fact. And again, this was written by Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, uh, laying out the groundwork for UNESCO. That's the United Nations Environmental... uh, I can't remember all the things that it stands for. Do you know it, Basil, off the top of your head? Nope. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Google it. That's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Very good. You get points. Yes. Okay. So there you go. And another, you know, tie-in with the whole UN agenda that we've brought up many times in the 2030. It's still happening now, 100 years later. It's just, you know, it's taken on different forms and stuff. But this stuff was laid out. It's published. It's it's information that's out there. And that was only 70 70 years ago? Yeah, 46. Not 100. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, you know, I don't know if, uh, uh, you know, resonated with you, Basil, as much as it did with me, but, you know, saying that using mass philosophy and mass creed, you know, using media and mass communication as that main vehicle to do this, to use the propaganda to perpetrate peace, I mean, how easy is it? Perpetrate peace. Ooh, what a spooky... 
spooky way to put it. Yeah, well, I think that's what they said here. Let me double check the yeah, I know. words. I wasn't, I wasn't crediting you with that line. Okay, good, because I don't think I came up with that. But anyway, at this point in the discussion, I want to bring up, Basil, this, this idea of, and we, we touched on it in the first half of the show, but having these different sides or you know different depictions of either heroes or you know uh disruptors terrorists yeah. if you will and that that's been something that's been characterized within these stories that so we just had that clip of the guy who wants to stop the progress before it's too late you know that guy right and, and how much you want to bet he was a bad guy he um, that's what i'm saying he's always the, the guy who wants to stop the progress is always the bad guy and i think that was also meant to be part of the predictive programming because you know those who have concern those who raise questions uh those who watch and mourn the people of the potential dangers of progress if you will especially one that is being pushed by institutions and uh you know those who have membership in secret societies and things of that nature they're always going to paint the people that resist their agenda as bad and evil. And, you know, we, we saw that example even in the uh, 9-11 thing with the terrorist, right? It was a bad guy, a terrorist, yeah. so always doing it. Well, keep in mind, too, and I think this plays a lot into it, which is, you know, we're told who the bad guys are culturally, not just, you know, as a nation, but also culturally in our own lives. Yeah. You know, when you think of... A bad guy. Actually, an interesting thing. There's uh, been some rules floated, and I think they got passed. Oh man, it was another English-speaking country. I think it was Australia. Oh man, should have details on this, but <laughs> I don't know whether they passed or not. But there were was legislation actually uh, to keep film and uh, media outlets from writing their villains as having scars on their faces. Wow. Because yeah, because it was uh, painting a picture for the public that anybody who had a scar on their face was a bad guy. And it apparently was affecting these people enough <laughs> that they had to make a law to change uh, what you could make a movie about, what your villain would look like. All these people, with, all these people with scars on their face coming together at town hall. Raising the issue. Well, hey, look, if I got a scar on my face, yeah, I mean, maybe I would probably just start playing into the villain role. But it's a testament to how the media portrays what we think of other people. You know, we're seeing it a lot now. You know, for instance, all alt-right people are racists or, you know, the, the painting of the alt-right. Or if you're a Republican, you're a racist and you're the bad guy. Or if you're a Democrat, then you're a, I don't know, what are they? Social justice warriors. And they're trying to, what are they trying to do? Which ones? Take down our wall. Yeah, sure. Guys. All... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> give me any, yeah, give any good yeah, example. I mean, I think, I think for the most part, the Republicans are the ones being painted in mass media as bad guys. So... Uh, but, you know, going beyond political affiliation, we are taught through stories and we get most of our stories through the mass media. Yeah, exactly. And the way we understand people of, you know, maybe different belief systems, that a lot of that is informed from media as well, you know, TV shows and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and this brings me to Contact 
with Jodie Foster, 1997. So uh, you Ooh. were around. I remember seeing that movie in theaters and um, being a little overwhelmed by the entire thing. Uh, not, there was a lot. There, there was, was a lot, lot going on in that film, yeah. That was a young, young buck at the time, not really concerned about the things of faith. Um, but I do recall how they painted the religious folk. And um, I have some clips here, just in general faith. And, and in hindsight, I thought it was very interesting that in a film about contacting aliens and them sending us a message about a, a, you know, creating a secret portal Stargate wormhole thing, and you know, it's this wondrous thing, the people who are painted as those trying to prevent the, the progress and this continuation of contact with aliens were Christians. Right. So I have a few clips here. This is Matthew McConaughey. Or I don't remember his character's name, but you know, you know Matthew McConaughey. I think he still had like a mullet in this film. All right, all right, all right. There you go. Losing, uh, talking about losing his faith on Larry King. He's become a spiritual counselor of sorts in a recent fixture at the White House. God's diplomat, according to the New York Times. His latest book, Losing Faith, is currently number one on that publication's bestseller list. Thanks for being with us, Palmer. You have had quite a ride this last couple of years. Yeah, I sure have, Larry. Oh, yeah. Sure have, oh, Larry, yeah. yeah. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Here's another one. This is a news montage that was in the film Contact. This is CNN Breaking News. The president made a brief statement calling the message from Vega one of the most stunning insights into our Attendance at religious services has risen a dramatic 39% in recent days. Even a scientist has to admit that there are some pretty serious religious overtones to all this. Let's hear from someone whose organization has been accused of conducting its own inquisition in recent days. Richard Rank, head of the conservative coalition. Thank you. This is yet another example of science intruding into matters of faith. Like a bolt from the blue it came. What is being called the message from Vega has caused thousands of believers and non-believers to descend upon the VLA facility here in the remote desert of New Mexico. Many have come to protest, many to pray. So there you go. There's a lot of, uh, again, uh, interesting sorts of, in my opinion, this is a, a kind of predictive programming showing mm -hmm. the, the conflict between faith and science that can emerge if uh, we openly contact some kind of a distant civilization of some kind. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because I don't know. I'm not sure if that's, uh, if that's what the reaction would be. I mean, I guess maybe us being weirdos might not be the yeah, best we, we, uh, we, we, people to predict how we're not the best litmus test for might. that. Yeah. <laughs> Because we would be sitting there, you know, pointing at all we'd the just, things going on. We'd just be sitting there going, told you so. Told you. <laughs> told you. Um, but I think there would be uh, more of a discussion. I, you know, there was that one clip saying that all oh, the, the religious services went up, you know, so so people of faith would flock more, like they would flock back to the church to, to look for answers. And yeah. um, and then people of science will be like, finally, you know, this, this puts the, or some people anyway, might say, uh, this puts a nail in the coffin about God and that kind of thing. And again, I don't know that, it, you know, it's not going to be one or the other overall, but just the idea that, that upheaval in these matters uh, certainly would take place. I think if the, if they openly said it, you know, that all oh, yeah. we contacted somebody, some alien thing, I could only imagine 
in the context of predictive programming, again, learning from stories and uh, how we are, uh, how to react being represented to us, you know, the, the, the panic, they like to think that they, I don't know, there, there's kind of a push and pull between the panic or don't panic type of thing. In my opinion, it's really the the panic that allows powers that be to A, either assert control or B, sway public opinion. You know, it's much easier to sway public opinion when people are freaking out and emotional. And what was I doing numbers or letters? C, <laughs> C to, you know carry out other pieces of an agenda without being noticed because for instance the news cycle being completely clogged up with some sort of event or uh you know whatever the case may be so i can really see this that particular clip perhaps trying to teach people either how to act or it, seeing it, seeing it in such a negative light, maybe you know, oh, the all these stupid Christians going to the church to pray about the aliens, you know, to uh, trigger that kind of response again if something like this were to happen. Yeah, there would be some of us out there, you know, Doctor Mike Heiser being one of those dudes that probably you know his phone would explode. <laughs> anyway, well, I'd, we'd be in the bunker with him. Yeah. So. <laughs> In any case, there's one more clip I wanted to play from Contact, the film, and this happens to be, I think, something somewhat relevant uh, to the kinds of things we're seeing now with uh, the the what, and I say that in the, um, you know, sociological label categorization of humans that takes place in the, you know, the soft sciences, the what religious, in this case, Christian terrorist. It's the same people who again and again have brought us to the brink of destruction, who've polluted our air, who've poisoned our water. Now these scientists have had their chance. Are these the kind of people that you want talking to your God for you? There you go. This, this is the character in the film that ends up blowing himself up to destroy the the first constructed Stargate portal thing that they made. Yikers. Yikers is correct. Uh, but there you go. I, you know, I, I saw this when I was a kid, but it struck me how they painted the villains because it was, a you know, again, I, I didn't know much about religion or Christianity, but I knew sort of the principle of like, hey, the, the, the ideals of this religion is supposed to be like love and peace and that sort of thing. So I thought it was interesting that they would paint a religious person that's supposed to be about those things as this crazy terrorist um, right. that, that thinks he is doing something righteous by destroying himself or, you know, blowing himself up and destroying this thing. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's and we're the, seeing similar stuff today with the Christchurch shooting and, and others. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think this is a, a target that they've been long wanting to, disseminate more to destroy the West, if you will. Uh, right. We can get into that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I think there's um, a lot of different ways that that can be interpreted in the context of predictive programming. But, uh, you know, I, again, I just wanted to play some examples uh, from the 
earlier films, but also something a little bit closer to now to show that really any film, any blockbuster movie uh, has this type of messaging in it. You know, we can literally spend the rest of our days, Basil, like nitpicking at every single line of movies, like showing how there's some kind of connection back to uh, some kind of esoteric philosophy or occult thing. At a certain point, it becomes fruitless, I would say. But, uh, you know, there are examples that should be highlighted to at least get people who are unfamiliar to know that it's everywhere. You know, it's not it's, it's easy to find if you know what you're looking for. That's right. And. I wanted to get into talking about the difference or the similarities between predictive programming and prophecy, because we always Mm. do this as a theme here on Canary Cry Radio. We always try to tie it back to the Bible and the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. And I think this is a good one to to do that, to land the conversation, because, you know, we're not going to just be like, hey, you guys are all... It's all over for you guys. If you guys watch another movie without knowing what's going on, you will be deceived forever. And that's not the case. But what do you think, Basil? Do you think there is uh, any connection or disconnection between predictive programming and prophecy? Well, that's a great uh, question. You know, I think predictive programming would be, I would say maybe they're almost opposites. I don't know. Well, prophecy would be, foretelling of things that are to come Mm -hmm. and predictive programming no would be to try to influence the masses so that something can come Mm -hmm. right sure yeah no that's right what do you think i think that's good although it's one of those things it's 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 uh, it's like the same but different you know (laughs) because you're right but at what point does some form of predictive programming, which is a projection about the future, overlap into prophecy fulfilled? Where, where it's, what's the phrase? A self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, and I think we've had hints of conversation about this, the difference or the similarity or the overlap or the confusion, the, the line being blurred between a self-fulfilling prophecy and actually, you know, written prophecy. Right. So it is kind of a mind bender if you think about it. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it's important in the context of Hollywood and films and all this stuff to really look at the scriptures because there's a, there's a few passages that I want to throw at everybody. And the first one is Isaiah 41 verses 21 through 24. And it talks about the futility of idols. And I thought this was really fascinating. Starting at verse 21, set forth your case, says the Lord, bring your proofs, says the King of Jacob, let them bring them, that is the idols, And tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. And this is pretty harsh there, God's uh, going after the idols. And it, it really, if you look at this, the idol could equate to really the entertainment industry. You got the team idol, you got sports idols. Uh, who's, your, who's your idol, Basil, in Hollywood? <laughs> Do you have one? Um, yeah, good question. That's, a, that's quite, the, uh, <laughs> quite the booby trap you set for me I there. Yep. Uh, Danny DeVito. Oh, that's a real, 
That's <laughs> that's a curveball. I swing and miss on that one. That was, a, that, that was a really nice slider there. Really good. Uh, <laughs> when it says, tell us former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. When you think about film, it's often a retelling of some part of history, right? And it's and it's giving you what you want out of it, like some kind of outcome. Like, oh yeah, the you know the the Nazis or every Nazi movie, I guess the the Germans are the bad guys, right? And so I found it interesting that they would that God would have this as part of the characteristics of the idols and what they do for people right. in that time. Declare to us the things to come. Again, predictive programming, projecting the desired psychological state of a future time. And that we may know that you are gods. Again, this is God mocking the idols since in that time people worshipped them as gods. And something we've learned from you know Dr. Heiser and others, uh, ancient Near East researchers, these idols, these statues were considered a sort of a physical container where they can summon the gods into, you know, so they can get, you know, get favor or, you know, whatever they need to do. And so, you know, kind of testing their actual ability. And, and this is a theme that, you know, anyone familiar with the old Testament will tell you that God, you know, kind of mocks these other gods and, and even the idols uh, as part of it. So I don't know. I just thought this was an interesting passage considering what predictive programming is in Hollywood and the media of entertainment and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this passage of going after idol worship and the futility of idols, I thought was appropriate. I don't know. Is, am I overstretching the connection there, Basil? Or do you think there's something? No, there? I, I think there's something there. Yeah, you, uh, you, you uh, well, okay. If I'm going to be honest, I was looking at a meme. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we you keep, me. I, sh- I feel like we should keep that in, in there just <laughs> Just to be like, and then yeah, that's, that's fine. Okay, I mean, people already think I just tune out, tune out. I don't know. Well, good. Uh, Use your best judgment when we're there. I will. What? What? What, what was the question you're asking? The question was. Give me a chance to answer it. Well, okay. Just looking at Isaiah forty-one twenty-one through twenty-four, and mm-hmm. is there a connection to the modern day and the entertainment industry, or am I stretching the analogy too far? I think you make a great connection. I mean, really, if you think about the gods or the idols, like you said, uh, Hollywood actors and TV personalities and comedians and these types of people, you know, they're the closest things we have. They And really, they are, well, let's, let's admit it, they're graven images. They are chiseled. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they really are... Uh, the fact that every time we see them in a movie or something, they represent some uh, another archetype of sorts. Right. You, know, you think of like a Brad Pitt or something who's a hero in most cases and witty and good looking and funny and represents a certain kind of person and a certain uh, uh, set of ideals that people then see and emulate and take into their own worlds and psyches and uh, you know, that's sort of the the example of uh, how they should act. And again, that being pointing towards actors being idols, you know, the movies that they portray these portray these characters in being used for predictive programming. I think that's a great match. 
Yeah, and at the end here in verse 24, Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing, and abomination is he who chooses you. It's almost like if you if you make these people, these, you know, these actors and stuff, as yeah. your source... It, it's true. Your work isn't their work. Yeah. It really is nothing, you know. So and it, and a lot of them will say that. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure That's they're what I'm like, saying. oh no, I just did a thing and get a big paycheck. It was nothing. <laughs> yeah, I sit around on a set and you know and, you know, and they say I action. I say some lines and there you go. I, I really do think a lot of actors are acting when they think they're changing the world with their acting. They a lot of them are. Uh, you know, pretty messed up people and they know it. Yeah. I think, well, especially now it seems like the people that are really getting into the political side of the, you know, uh, the voices to, to move political things. Right. They're definitely George Clooney. Who uh, was the Angelina one? Jolie, Angelina Brad Jolie. Angelina Jolie. All the big all ones. Of them. <laughs> really? Leonardo DiCaprio. Didn't he speak at the UN? I mean, come on. He's been really into, I think, uh, Climate, climate change. change. Stuff, yeah. He made it. If a, I remember help, correctly. Help make a documentary. Yeah. So they're all mobilized by the same people. Again, the, the contrast being something we find in Isaiah 44, 7, who is like me, let him proclaim it, let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. And this is, you know, God choosing Israel and proclaiming the, the future through Israel. And I thought that was interesting. It's an interesting contrast of God's authority in all of this, as opposed yeah. to all these people who are trying to, you know, use their idols for their own little personal gain. And uh, obviously we got to, we got to touch on Jesus. Uh, Jesus predicted what was about to occur to his disciples. You know, even if they didn't fully understand what he was talking about or what was about to happen, uh, it's kind of a similar, you know, thing to predictive programming. There's a disbelief of some kind of future outcome, you know, uh, breaking of the mold of expectations about the future. Matthew 16, 21 says that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So, I mean, he was pretty straightforward with it. Not even maybe predictive, maybe more like <laughs> telling him the plan. Declaring, yeah, what's about yeah. to take place. But I think it's really interesting, Basil, that there is an overlap between this idea of having things written before they happen and that being a sort of transcendent marker of God, especially looking at the Bible and the word of God. And right. in that sense, the blessed hope, really, the, the future hope of our resurrection and all these things that we are promised uh, as a result of belief in Jesus Christ, I think that is the, the best, most positive thing that we can get from this discussion of predictive programming. Because what's in store for us in eternity is quite remarkable. And you got Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the main street of the city. On either side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit and yielding a fresh crop for each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be within the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night in the city, and they will have no need for light of a lamp or of the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal, Basil. What about you? See, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, this far into uh, your 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 second half here, I don't know if that counts as predictive programming. Or is I'm it not just sure a prophecy? I, I'm not sure if prophecy counts as predictive programming. Because predictive programming is trying to teach us how to feel about something. Prophecy is more... I don't know. Am I going <laughs> off here? Should we just leave it where you have it? It's up to you. I'm so tired. I don't I don't know if I would trust my brain right now to try to make a good point. You're looking at the phrase predictive programming as we've explored it on this episode, and you're saying that it doesn't necessarily or shouldn't compare with prophecy or relate to prophecy. I'm not saying it shouldn't relate or it shouldn't compare. I'm saying to call prophecy equal to predictive programming is, uh, I just don't think it's correct. I think there's subtle differences, like I mentioned before. And I think that, you know, considering the, uh, the, the, the connotations of predictive programming, where it's about, you know, sheeple and controlling them, and things like that. I don't think that that necessarily applies to prophecy, at least in in uh, parts of the Bible. Do you, would you say that part of the process in predictive programming is not, okay, control is the ultimate goal, but ultimately the individual has to make their own decisions, right? So they, they'll consume some kind of, you know, imagery or, or you know, situation, whatever. They, they get immersed in that type of world or whatever, and they can extract some kind of behavior from it. No, I disagree because the whole point of predictive programming is to program the responses. So, you know, maybe people think that they have free will all the time, but they have these influences in in their subconscious. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of the psychological effects of predictive programming is to have people react in a certain way or uh, or think certain thoughts about, you know, an organization or whatever without actually thinking about it right. just m almost like recalling those programmed ideas mm -hmm. uh, from predictive programming okay so when i look at the phrase and and i understand the the way you extract the phrase into you know the application of how we've been discussing but when i when i look at it and i just break it down etymologically so we did that at the beginning of the episode, predictive or prediction declared, or, you know, if you dwindle it down, the definition is a declared thing to come in a public notice proclamation or edict. And it does, if you look at it as prophecy and words that were written that basically told things to come and that being a, a limited sort of uh, media, right? <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily blasted on television screens for everyone to, to consume, but that information was there. And I think it did affect behavior. I mean, it did invoke some sort of programming to, to induce some kind of behavior. Because if you think about all of human history, right, it's guided by these words, uh, the, the word of God, these or other sacred documents. And in the biblical worldview, it's, it leads to a behavior of repentance and then declaring your faith in Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, that's sort of the, that's, the goal or the, the protocol of the word of God, the purpose of it for it to exist, to send that message or to spread it out and also changes and in, in, in effects our responses to 
you know, the things to come and our interpretation of what's happening now. I mean, think about now when we look at all this stuff, we're sort of responding to it differently than everybody else because we have a, a different kind of programming going on. If you call, if you want to call it that, it, it, do you see what I'm saying though? Is it's not like, I see what you're saying. I think there's a, it, I think it sets a dangerous precedent to, uh, I, I think it, it goes one of two ways mm-hmm. calling, you know, biblical prophecy, predictive programming. One way is that it doesn't look good for biblical prophecy to call it predictive programming. I mean, it's just the connotations of control and yeah, then all um, the negative stuff you know, associated to it. Right. And stuff like that. But then on the other hand, I don't think it's a good idea to compare biblical prophecy and predictive programming because it almost allows for someone to defend predictive programming where, you know, if you spend so much time talking about predictive programming and, and watching Hollywood movies and things like that, and, and then somebody could turn around on the other side and say, well, that's just what biblical prophecy is. You're responding to, uh, predictive programming as well. I feel like just either way it goes, it's not the it just doesn't feel the greatest. Sure. You know, I understand that. Um, and it goes back to playing God in that sense, though. I'm trying to look at it from, a, a, you know, a more distant perspective. And, you know, admittedly, it may not be like the best way to like present the idea. Um, but I think there's elements of with anything, like there's all kinds of stuff, like, um, whether you, you know, agree with the nuances is that there's a sort of like restorative thing where because God is the creator, there's certain trademarks of his creation, like that uh, just exist as part of creation. And when you look at Bible prophecy, it's, it's a grand, it's a grand thing. Like you're, you're really stepping back and looking at like all of human history and trying to like grapple with what that means and all this stuff. And it's, it's, it's a mind bending process, right? And so when we think of a topic like predictive programming in a modern sense and being manipulated, used for, for control and for a lot of power, it, it's, I think it makes sense. Not, not, okay. So you, you, the here's, char, here's, your charge has been that it's, I comply, that I relate, or I'm saying that Bible prophecy is predictive programming. Yeah. And here's my thing okay. real quick. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm sorry to interrupt, sure, but just ahead. maybe this will help you clarify where you want to go with it. Okay. Okay, so I see what you're saying. In the broadest sense, you could call biblical prophecy predictive programming. But in the same breath, you could say in the broadest sense, a speed limit sign is predictive programming. It's a piece of media that a lot of people see, and the powers that be put it up because they want people to act a certain way, drive the speed limit. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like if you wanted to, you could put predictive programming on the term. You could use the term in a very broad sense in a lot of different ways that just sort of deviate from the spirit of predictive programming that we talk about and so many other people talk about. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I can agree with that. Yeah, to be clear, before all the Facebook threads start, I'm not saying that <laughs> biblical prophecy is nefarious. No, no, no. When that's I'm, not, not, that's not what I'm trying to say that you're saying. Yeah. But. What I, yeah. What I, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting meta. 
Yeah, so I mean, I guess that's the thing is is you can take it as broad as you want. I mean, technically, if you go broad enough, I mean, I think my street sign example was a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. The street sign to me is just kind of a, an example within the scale of it, and, and yeah, you can apply it to everything. But uh, I just think we should think about it in more terms of like how things ought to be as well you know, and consider what that looks like. If, if there is anything positive to extract from this, is it just all negative? You know, is well, there, is there something I guess that's good my, that could come out of it? I guess that's what I'm, I'm trying to get to, which is what's, what's the positive side of considering biblical prophecy, some form of predictive programming? Well, I, I think that that's, that's it. That's the point. Like if, if you're going to get anything positive out of this thing, it's that, Hey, you know, we can trust in a God that actually put creation into motion. He spoke things into existence. I mean, that's kind of like a, like a, I don't know, an, an initial process or way of, of describing what these people are doing. There's, you know, they're trying to speak things into existence or behavior into existence in some way by, you know, controlling the media or the, and the consumption of it. So it's obviously a, what, you know, what the predictive programming is now is a, definite twisting or, or a corrupt version of what maybe was a little bit more pure under the guidance and, you know, the, the proper, uh, sort of infrastructure of God's creation. If everything is intact the way it ought to be, you know? So I don't know. I'm just trying to, I, I, that's what I'm trying to do is draw some positive basil, but you keep shooting down my, my attempts. I think there's tons of positive. I think <laughs> one, a huge part of the positive is, uh, you know, being able to pick this stuff out and it's all part of waking up when you see predictive programming, know the symbols, know the signs, know the agendas and be able to uh, spot them. I think that goes a long way to a feeling like feeling some freedom from the, uh, the attempted mind control and also gives you an opportunity to share that with other people. I think I think that's the big uh, positive thing, and yeah, of course, somebody if if they wanted to could predict uh, could uh, produce a piece of predictive programming that would give us a favorable response to some sort of event, and I suppose that could be positive in one way or another. I think it, and I'd like to go back to my my point. I think I made before, and you can feel free to cut this out or move it around, which is predictive programming is more like preparing a a group of people to respond in a certain way without their knowledge of their programming. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point is it's done in secret and it's, you're not supposed to know that you've been programmed with prophecy. It's right there. Nobody, I mean, you, you have biblical prophecy. It tells you what's gonna happen. And, you get to respond to it from there. There's nothing secret about reading biblical biblical prophecy. There's no sort of instincts implanted in your mind without you knowing it. When a prophecy happens, I mean, people watch prophecy all over the world all the time. When something happens that corresponds with prophecy, I don't believe that the biblical texts have pre-programmed our instincts to how to react to that. Uh, most of most people, I think, when they see prophecy playing out, again, 
you just get to say, whoa, there it is. Cool. Okay. We need to uh, keep an eye out. We need to, uh, you know, prepare whatever we need to prepare. I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about without any specifics. Um, But I I think that's the thing with the predictive programming, as we've been talking about it colloquially, is a, a secret implantation of that instinct. Whereas prophecy is pretty upfront about everything it says, which is why I would probably not call biblical prophecy predictive programming. That makes sense. Um, There was a point that you made. uh, I'm trying to remember it. You kind of piled on at the end. Um. What was the point you made right before? Okay. So here's a question for you. If, if it's so plain, if it's so plainly written, and and it's just there, and I, I under, and that's a really good point that you made. That there's the distinction between, you know, knowing and not knowing. Do you think that what's written in in biblical prophecy in terms of like events or just a a certain scenario of of where the world is? Do you think that that is a lot of people don't believe that stuff, right? But do you think that they have? Or would be wouldn't be surprised if if those things took place and they saw that it was from the Bible. Which things, if a non yeah, just people that don't believer. believe those things, are do you think they have any preconditioning to what the Bible says is going to take place? Well, here's the interesting thing: the Bible says that people will be preconditioned to those things. I mean, the Bible talks about people being deceived and, you know, uh, following the the uh, antichrist spirit in the end of days and things like that. The, the prophecy says that that's going to happen. And there's lots of people doing a lot of great work picking out the predictive programming that will lead to people, follow, you know, following the spirit of the antichrist. Uh, and whether it's aliens or politicians or whatever, you know, predictive pro, uh, programming about that is all over the place. So I would even say that biblical prophecy exposes predictive programming in a way, or at least tells people to watch out for it. Right. That's a good point, too. Because, yeah, because uh, a lot of predictive programming actually relates heavily to biblical prophecy, but just uh, <laughs> like is stated in prophecy, it's trying to uh, flip the tables on the prophetic events to, which in a way, very interestingly is for at, oh gosh, is simultaneously fulfilling the biblical prophecy. Yeah. See that it's interesting how everything loops around because that, that was kind of what I wanted to get to is, you know, the, the people that are doing this predictive programming, they are fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So in that sense, one can say that predictive programming is biblical prophecy. No. 
I mean, it it fulfills biblical prophecy, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's found in biblical prophecy. Oh, you're saying, okay, you're not saying biblical prophecy is predictive programming. You're saying predictive programming is biblical prophecy. I could see the subtle distinction there. I think that might be the the middle point that we could meet at. Yeah, look, I I think... Just when I when I was doing and putting together this document and the study, I was simply looking at the the word definition of predictive or prediction and program pro, programma, and mm-hmm. when you distill it down to to that, you you can see how the definition can relate to just in its purest form, not not any kind of connotation of how it's used now. You can see how the entire creation and God's word is in that sense, you know, de- this declaration, because there's nothing nefarious in that definition of like, oh, you know, um, implanting thoughts before you know, not knowing, you know, that, that kind of stuff. None of that's there in the, the purest form of the words. And so I think that's what I was doing when, when coming up with that idea that you uh, so vehemently disagreed with. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to help you sort of uh, work through that term. I think we get into a lot of trouble when we start to take exact definitions and start using that to apply predictive programming to other things. Or, uh, And I think just in general in life, you know, there's a lot of things that have, if you break down the exact definition, it doesn't necessarily mean what people use the word to right. mean. Well, that's... And so then it becomes what's more important, the the exact definition of words or how people use the words. Well, that's that's the thing, right? And, and investigating that is part of the process of podcasting, at least for us. Let's let's settle this because I was thoroughly defeated by your, your arguments to... Uh, oh, you think so? Uh, I, yeah, I had some points, but I, I think overall, uh, I think we should make sure, or at least for now, um, mm-hmm. when we use the word or phrase predictive programming, we should refer to it as completely in the context of the modern vernacular and, you know, how we used it for most of, uh, most of the episode here, you know, talking about the films and, and all that stuff that, that, uh, tries to control us and, you know, help expose it. And, and I think if we're talking about biblical prophecy in relationship to it, in general, I think we should talk about biblical prophecy as exposing it because I think you made made a good point there about how it, the Bible, you know, basically predicted all these things and that these things will be taking place in the end times and people will be deceived and all that. So I think that level is solid for people to to perch on and to understand the topic of predictive programming. So we should we should definitely land it there. Did it. Well, there you go, folks. We hope you enjoyed that. And we are back in the saddle. It took us a few months at the beginning of 2019 here, but we hope you enjoyed this because we certainly did. And don't worry, we've got some interviews coming down the pike as well. And Gons, you and I were going to be exploring uh, more topics just like this that, uh, you know, I think maybe we haven't given... Uh, it's fair shake before. Yeah, I think it's good to flush some of these ideas out because, you know, I get pumped about stuff and then you get <laughs> pumped about stuff and then sometimes those two things aren't really jiving. 
Yeah, well, not even that. I think these are con- important conversations to have in the community. That was kind of a next level uh, exploration of predictive programming, I think. I don't think I'd heard anybody. I, but I, I think it was, it was valid. Um, not to get way back into the conversation, but I think you had <laughs> a valid a, a valid idea, and it's uh, you know just takes talking it out to help people kind of figure out where they land on stuff like that. But I think we landed in a good place, and you know what else yeah. landing in a good place? Where's that? All those reviews and ratings people are going to leave in our iTunes. Yeah, uh, the one stars or the Gons is a heretic uh, comments. Yeah, if you have any comments about this conversation, <laughs> just send them to face like the sun at gmail.com. Uh, no, no, but, but please go to iTunes, leave a rating and a review. It really helps out the show, especially when it's been a little while since we've uh, posted an episode. I could go into the details of how the iTunes algorithms work, but. I'm, I'm telling you right now, the robots of iTunes are not happy that we have not posted for a while. So once we post, get some ratings and reviews. Oh, man, those robots are going to love us. And so are all the people who are going to find the podcast because you did that. So head to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. Leave a rating and a review. And as always, I would consider that a personal favorite to me. So thank you very much. Um on top of that, we are still looking for a better uh, fundraising platform than Patreon.com. We realize a lot of people have uh, serious issues with Patreon, although they've done a good job of settling those things down recently. But if you have an idea of some sort of fundraising platform you would like us to get on, if that would encourage you to support the show, we are happy to do that. I'd also like to take a second to thank our Patreon supporters. And those Patreon supporters stuck around for a few months while we are getting our act together, uh, which is incredibly amazing and just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, But during that time, the Patreon supporters were still getting some bonus episodes. So that's a benefit of being a Patreon supporter. And if you want to do that, you can head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. That's patreon.com slash canarycryradio and sign up. You get bonus episodes. You get all sorts of fun stuff. We have the journals and the stickers there now. And let me just say, I'm just going to drop a little hint. If you've been, if you've had the journals and the stickers on your heart, if you've had your eye on them, you're going to want to get into that soon. I'm just going to leave that there. You're going to want to get your journals and stickers soon. Head to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. We also have Canary Cry News Talk. And part of the reason why we were motivated to get this episode out is because the number of episodes of CCNT is catching up to CCR. And CCR should always be on top. So that puts a little bit of pressure on us to produce, Basil. Who knows, man? Progress. Progress. Or the... Or there may come a uh, a crossing point. Yeah, they probably one takes will. Over the other. I mean, I think that's the fact of the matter is that uh, CCNT is going to surpass CCR in episodes, but that's okay. They're different. They're different things. We love all our children equally. <laughs> Interesting that you consider this our children. Hey, my child. Um, Especially when when you have a real when you have real children, it's a uh, it's a little creepy. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't have children, so I think that's an easier <laughs> comparison for me to have. 
this uh yeah the podcasting i think is the closest thing i have in my life to the type to a human child to the type of attention and uh <laughs> whatever you need to pay to a child um oh that's not good you just ignored this one for a few months i know i'm a bad dad bad daddy <laughs> You got, you got to juggle. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, make sure to go check out CCNT. That's Canary Cry News Talk. Also, make sure to check out the Joy Spiracy Theory. It's a great show. Yeah. You're going to love it. Got rolling on that again. Just posted a new episode and uh, doing bonus episodes for that as well. And can you believe it? There's another and, Gons. Mm. Um, I mentioned it before. I've been working on a podcast with a, a friend of mine. It's... Uh, going to be much more biblically focused and we've recorded uh, a bunch of episodes and we're getting ready to put that out and uh have i announced that on the main show before i don't, I don't know. think i have now I'm i guess you can now i'm confused no of course i can i just <laughs> don't know if i want to yet because we're oh, you know okay. we're gonna make a big reveal so, okay um, yeah don't then so something cool is coming there too just so you know we're working on all sorts of stuff and awesome. there's always the Twitch channel, which is there. the Twitch channel that is that nothing. Hey, I have a question for you about that. Mm -hmm. So when people say they're rewatching something, I get it. We get emails or something that says like rewatch. Are they, what are they watching since we haven't done anything there yet? I don't know what you're talking about. No, we don't have any uh, videos on okay. there. So I think you're just getting like marketing emails. <clears throat> um, awesome. Yep. So there you go. We have our Twitch channel. We have, just recently surpassed 200 members, which has got to be some sort of record because we have not streamed yet. We are still planning on do that on doing that. We apologize if anybody feels bamboozled for following the Twitch channel and having no videos there. But here's the thing. We are still going to do that. It's just been a little difficult to sit down and be like, hey, you want to play video games for three hours while we have a bunch of podcast episodes we need to do. So, but that'll be coming it is all part of the journey of time management that Gons and I are both uh, on. We're 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 on the Lord of the Rings like trip to Mordor of time management, but we are working on it so diligently. And we thank everybody for following us. Um, the Facebook page, Canary Cry Radio Facebook page, got ten thousand likes, and that's. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the uh, the biggest accomplishment uh, that we've ever had in our lives. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's Facebook, wow. so it's kind of the Olympics of uh, of life and popularity. Um, yeah. I kid, but that was very cool. And we also have over two thousand members in the Canary Cry Radio community that's not what it's called the canary cry community which is our facebook group 2000 members it's a great group you're going to want to get in there just head to facebook.com and uh, search for a canary cry community and also make sure to save the date october 10th through the 13th 2019 we got the hear the watchman conference disclosure on the coast prophecy uncensored right in my backyard hosted by hear the watchman uh, we're going to have Ellie Marzuli, Russ Dizdar, Messianic Rabbi Zev Porat, Pastor Paul Begley, Stephen Bankers, Josh Peck, Michael Boldea, Pastor Phil Kor, Tori Anderson, and so many more uh, right there in Irvine, Hilton. So uh, yeah, just 
make sure to save the date, October 10th through the 13th. Awesome. It, yep. We're, you're back in the conference game, Gons. No, I'm just attending, or not attending. I'm speaking, but I'm not organizing. So no, this is. A, yeah, but I mean, you're in the game. You're speaking. It's cool. That's oh, okay. more than anybody could say for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, unless I bring you in that duffel bag and, and you just, you know. That's true. You're yeah. referring to our plans for you to sneak me into a conference that I could probably easily buy a ticket to. Um, sure. how, how do people get tickets? You can go to hearthewatchman.com and all the information will be there. Okay, sounds good. Yep. Sounds like a party. All right, yep. thank you so much, everybody, for coming back and listening to Canary Cry Radio. Uh, why don't you drop us a line? CanaryCryRadio at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Remember the Patreon account. And if you guys uh, are not a fan of Patreon, but you still want to support the show financially because we are an entirely listener-supported show, we do not believe in selling your attention for our own personal gain, at least not yet. But <laughs> if you want to uh, support the show, keep it going, help uh, help us continue to improve gear and time management and get more episodes out there, you can also go to canarycryradio.com slash support if you're more of a paypal person yeah i was gonna say you know we um if we did like advertising Mm -hmm. have you seen the numbers you know the people the bigger podcasts how much they charge for like some of the the advertise just cold reads of you know just or live reads it can be a lot of money a lot of money it can be a lot of money it's ridiculous we could sit literally we can sit here and talk about some kind of meditation app and betray everybody but be paid like twenty thousand dollars i know <laughs> that's our that's our sellout plan <laughs> have, so you, you have you guys heard of meditation <laughs> i've completely changed my stance on this and i want to let you guys know how great it is why did you turn into like uh, an old prospector old man an old prospector because i'm digging for gold gons uh, there you go. levels on levels levels on levels yeah. um can they send us gold <laughs> yeah yeah if you can find a way to send us gold do that well, yeah, send us an email we'll it. give you the p.o box okay so there you have it folks thanks so much for listening to this episode of canary cry radio make sure to tune in next time but until then think outside the cage <laughs>